please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening. Good evening, David. Uh, how's it going? Um, we've been talking for the last like 20 minutes. We do these lives yeah. like there's like a 20 minute go time before this all happens. So Even- we could fake that Jim and I just started talking, but that really didn't just happen. Um, yeah, every time we shoot an episode, we've been talking for a while. Usually, yeah. So um, tonight? Even if it's not. I mean, so this weekend is right. It's the big, big big deal the uh yep. the title of our episode tonight jim is we didn't go to nam okay um yeah, so just and it's supposed to be read just like that uh right. if you're finding the podcast for the first time you know please like subscribe do all that stuff you can find us uh, we have a facebook group that's uh well managed There's a lot of people in there and then you can also um you can find our discord and it'll be in the show notes below uh after right. the show so um Anyway, so uh, general news. Do you got anything yep. new? Did you buy anything new? I do have something new we can talk about for a second. Just a second, because I don't want to spend too much time on it. So I'm going to share something old. It's going to be like a wedding, mm-hmm. old and then new. Um, this is a DiMarzio cable. Okay. Oh, nice. Look mm-hmm. at how worn out this cable is. Like, it's, I'm sure you can start to see the fuzz and stuff come off of it. I have had I'm this sure cable. For probably 17 years. I'd say about 17 years. Okay. Now, I've been looking for replacement for this guy. This this cable is my recording cable. I right. have, for some so reason, your... just gotten to the point where I prefer the sound of this when I'm recording. I know it sounds absolutely insane. Um, I've used Planet Wave stuff as well. And uh, the Daddario American Stage. Um, right. They're fine. But for whatever reason, like I end up going grabbing this guy a lot, and uh, it it's something about the sound, but also just the fact that like I've recorded it with it for years. Um, what I like about it is it's got that fuzzy jacket on it, right? Like it's not like right. this is not the the regular vintage jacket. This is like uh, it's like a lower quality version of it almost. It's it's very right. like I said for for lack of a better word, it's fuzzy. Um, yeah, I have a few of those. Okay, so they still make those. Um, they're hard to find in stores, but you can order them. And uh, I actually thought about ordering a couple, but I bought a Boss cable, and um, I have a Kazak cable. It, yeah, because they're all the same, right? This is a ten foot straight, straight. Uh, yep. But I, I actually really like this. Um, and it's it's not as stiff as the uh, the Demarzio, but right. it's sonically basically the same i mean it's a good cable good cables are basically sonically identical most in most factors um so we'll see how it holds up but uh i'm gonna give a little bit of an endorsement to boss for their cables they actually did a really good job designing those and i'm kind of a heathen and i didn't even look at them when they came out because i was just like i don't want to buy more cables right now um i was buying the uh american stage stuff from 
Daddario at the time, and I'd still plan on using those on stage. Uh, I rubber jacket for stage because they don't show dirt as bad. Um, yep. And then I'll use the I'll keep those for the house, and I can use those for for when I'm doing live stream and stuff because they're shorter. Yep. I I, I buy nice, ten foots, you know. Yeah, the other nice thing about the rubber jacket ones, which I have uh, blue ones and I have yellow ones, um, so I know which ones are going into my uh, effects loop. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, those cables um, wipe right down, so it doesn't matter what you get on them. You just tag them. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, they wipe right down. I've had situations where, like, you get them in boulder oil or something because of where you're playing, and it's like, yeah, forget it. Um, yeah. <laughs> at that point, throw the cable away or or deal with a dirty yeah, cable know. for the rest of the for the rest of the cable's yeah. life. Um, yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah, let me uh, let me see if I can finagle my mic stand here for a second because I've got a cable like bumping my knee, and it's going to cause noise every time I touch it. Yeah. I, it's the best yeah, I can is, do. It's gonna, it's gonna be noisy, mine is folks. Running up the thing. Um. So. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Is that? Is that? Yeah, I'm done. New? I got nothing else. Oh, all right. Are we ready? Oh, we're at general news. So, um, let's talk. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. First of all, Gibson. They, everybody's already watched the thing. They won against Dean. It wasn't the big lot. It yeah. wasn't a big pile of money, but it is four thousand dollars per counterfeit per. What cost? So. We're not sure what what wasn't told was is that that's probably not per guitar sold. I'm sure of that. No, it was like four thousand it was four thousand dollars per model, and there was only two models they won on, I think. So I, it was yeah, like a total I of eight thousand bucks. Yeah, I thought they won on more than that. But and and there is a question of okay, and that's state dependent, um, who's gonna pay the court costs and that'll be obviously, you know. Uh, but Gibson's gonna have lawyers on on retainer they, they have a legal team there's no uh cost really that that's going to be able to be passed on to dean for that um not not in a large sense and of course um and that's if that that was awarded to them mm -hmm. um i think it's more about okay dean can't sell those guitars anymore or is dean going to have to pay a subscription similar to what other companies have done for they're going to have a licensing okay. fee but I, but even then um yeah. It, it, some I've seen it already said from other manufacturers is like if that's all we have to pay who gives a shit right I right. mean that's exactly right so yeah. the licensing and, fee has to be yeah reasonably enough reasonable enough that people will pay it because otherwise right. they're just gonna say screw you and uh um a lot of people have said oh is fender gonna do this next well no because fender um tried this already and they boo-booed it was something about the transfer from Fender to CBS that, or CBS to the next one. I can't remember. Yeah, which I, haven't one. Heard, I haven't heard that story. Somebody but... forgot. Yeah, I, I, I'm the the facts are fuzzy. So folks, if I'm, but I'm I've got the gist of the thing. Um, the when the body shapes changed hands, the copyrights didn't get filed by the company that was in ownership or something like that, and so they wound up losing that uh copyright um and no, the fact so that they never no but the fact that they telly the fact that they and, never defended it to begin with because they did the, they did defend it against the japanese um and they and they won um and so did gibson because they were doing they were both suing at the same time places like toga back in the um 70s or 80s yeah. but that was international law suits and all yep. different sorts of different things and, the, so, and yeah laws are different 
when applied differently. And right. And believe me, I, I've got a friend who's an international lawyer, and he starts talking about all that stuff, and I just I zone out. So anyway, um, there's that. Um, but if you go to Gibson's site right now, uh, Gibson has had a price hike again. Yep. I can pull uh, that, it up, from, actually. From $100 more, uh, the base models of the Les Pauls went up another 100 to, uh, what is it, twenty seven ninety nine I think. Um, and Yeah, so the base model, yeah, twenty seven ninety nine for Les Paul Standard yeah. 50s. And the uh, Custom, which I don't have hanging behind me because it's in the case, but um, uh, it'll go back up this weekend. But the Custom, what's funny is the Black Custom stayed the same. It's, um, the last price hike brought it to forty nine ninety nine, and it's still there. But the white, the Alpine white version went up again from fifty four ninety nine to fifty seven ninety nine. So now you'll pay an eight hundred dollar premium for Alpine white. Um, yeah, which so, means so is yours technically a fifty seven custom reissue? Is that technically what it is? No, it's a Les Paul custom with ebony fingerboard Alpine white. So do they they list that? It's not listed in the custom stuff. Is it listed yeah, in? It's listed in custom. Oh, I don't see it. I'm looking at. I'm literally looking at it right now. Yeah, it's listed in. If you go to the Les Paul collection, you go under custom, custom shop. You have to go to custom shop, and oh. then scroll down, um, and you'll see it black. It right underneath the uh, 1957 Les Paul reissue is the Les Paul custom with ebony um, fingerboard gloss. Oh, I don't see it. This is finished two options. Not showing. Oh, now I see it. Okay. Yeah, 6200 yeah. Right. Okay. Damn. And so if you click that, um, so it's pretty expensive. Um, I paid $42.99 for mine, so I feel good. Um, <laughs> yeah, because they hiked the price last year, I think. Right. Yeah. And so... Right after I bought it. You know, it's so funny. It's it, said, it said... It uh, said... Oh, this is a 68 reissue. Yeah, you want the one that just says Les Paul Custom with... No, I thought I clicked on that one, but I guess I didn't. Here, I'll, I'll no, send you No, no, no. So, so that's $5,000 even. Okay. Yeah, the black one's $5,000 even. But if you click the and white, the white is 58. That, yeah, because white is a harder yeah, finish to yeah. do, but also yeah. there's a premium there <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and it's out of stock. Of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you won't get your hands on one. Um, not for a while. They don't like to have to make the white ones because of the of the process. But anyway, so, um, yeah, there's a price hike there. Uh, they're not the only ones um, that have done a price hike, but certainly. Uh, um, and what's funny is the, the, the slashes, I think, stayed the same except for the newer colors because they're coming out with newer colors, so they're going to go. I still um, think it's the... funny that you pay $4,000, $5,000 in this case, and you get a 490R and a 498T. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like you get a 490R and a 498T, the two, <sighs> two of the most generic and have been around. Wouldn't a long you have time. just put a burst bucker or something in there? Like what the hell? I, you know, almost everybody I know that uses a custom, um, does a change of the uh, um, pickups, and I'm probably going to be one of those people. I'll probably take the originals out, put them in a bag, and then, you know, so. Let's let's talk about for a minute the um uh what 
the price hike. Which means, yep. Um, so everything is basically going up two hundred dollars. To you know, some of the things are going up a hundred bucks. Most everything is going up two hundred. Some of them are two going three three hundred, and some are even going up more, more than that. Um, yep. and of course, it's Gibson, you know, looking at their price and what they're selling things for and the volume that they've sold and saying this should be more expensive and all that. Um, I think people have a tendency to look at this and go, this is because of inflation and they're just ratcheting up the prices. But realistically, you know, they're shipping more and it's costing them more money. And um, I mean, I don't see this as a, a an out of the ordinary sort of price situation. Um, if anything, I think... This is sort of in line with the market. They got away with the two hundred dollar average price increase, whereas PRS I think just went up three hundred across the board, except for mm -hmm. the SE line. I think the SE line went up less than that. But um, okay. I was looking the other day; somebody had mentioned it, and of course, like wasn't an obvious price hike because they're already four thousand dollars to begin with. But when you're looking at a uh, custom twenty four, I believe is now forty two hundred or forty three hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, that's pretty steep, guys. Um, so uh all right. I think I think we covered that. I mean, so like it, it, the other thing is that the Gibson lawsuit thing. We don't know what's going to happen. No one does, and it may turn out that this just blows over and no one cares. Uh yeah. and I would think that's very likely. Um yeah. but we'll have to wait and see, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's just like anything else. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next topic. Which... Well, let me let me just oh, if you got more? bring up one more thing. So Fender brought out okay. they, um they brought out a whole line of pedals. I don't know. I I mean, I don't know what your take on it is. It's you talking it's about a, hammer tone? It, yeah, the hammer. Yeah, I mean that's that has been out for about a month now. They're yeah. announced about a month ago anyway. Uh, yeah. my take is, and I haven't played them yet, so this is my hot take. This is Fender's Chinese line. Um, that this is the Squire pedals, and basically yep. they probably just went and got like basically a company that makes stuff for Joyo or Moor, and right. licensed them to Fender, and that's what they're making. Yep. Um, that's it, that's my hot take. Yeah, I, I so I don't, I don't anticipate these being like real winter pedals. Like nothing in here is going to be the next Klon. Okay. Uh, they'll be fine. They're going to be inexpensive pedals like DOD yeah. was years ago or Ibanez was years ago or Voss was before Waza and all of that. Big right. deal. I mean, okay, right. so they have a pedal line now. They, and, and actually, um, some of their more expensive pedals are actually pretty good. Like the Marine Reverb, the uh, Marine right, Layer right. or something. That's a really, really good reverb. I actually like that. Uh, it's a reverb and delay, I think, in the same box. And I know somebody who's got one, and they were using it. And I was like, "That sounds pretty damn good, for what it is." Um, so you know, it's not it's not a Strymon killer or anything like that. But for a, a reverb unit that has all the controls right on top of the unit, and it's not like super programmable or doesn't. Pre I don't think it even has presets. Um, it's kind of a really cool tool for somebody who wants those knobs in under their fingers. So you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I know that there are listeners we have, they're like, you can't say Fender made something good. You can't do it. Well, Fender makes good stuff all the time. The problem yeah. is some of the stuff they make has some sketchy quality, you know, maybe a few more warp necks out of the Fender factory, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, they're building a lot of stuff, so that's bound to happen. Um, yeah. 
All right, can we can we switch topics now? Or you got you got more stuff. I'm asking for permission because I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, no, I don't. I that was it. I think. Okay. All right. So, Nam, it actually yeah. happened this year. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we, I think we did a, I think we did a, um, we did an episode last year where like the Nam that wasn't or something, and we were talking about yes. how the the summer Nam last year, like it was like empty. So people had booths and didn't show up. I mean, it was like, because yeah. the COVID thing was like, people didn't know what the hell was going on. And yeah. uh, in retrospect and in hindsight, like, I think most of the companies probably could have gone to NAM and not had anybody get sick because the numbers were so low during the summer um, for, right. for most places. Uh, but again, you want to, you know, you protect your employees, right? We got an industry of people yeah. telling, keep using the word living wage. We can talk about that another time, but, um, you know, they want to protect their employees, and I understand that. So, uh, yeah. but anyway, so NAM actually happened this year, Jim. I, and I know you're not aware of it because the coverage has been so shitty that, yeah. Um, how, how could you be aware of it, right? So, honestly, <laughs> you, you know what's funny? It reminds me of, so I'm an Apple guy, right? I mean, there's my iPhone, I've got the iPad, I've got mm-hmm. Mac. Um, I'm on a PC right now, but I do have a MacBook. Uh, and I, I gotta say this: this is what makes me laugh. Um, WWDC, yeah, WWDC developer conference, yeah, the developer, developer conference, conference right? Up. Worldwide developer conference is that what it stands for? Yeah, I anyway, think so. <laughs> that's coming up, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, that's exactly what happened with Nam. It was like. This is coming to them. This is coming to them. And it's like, I've already seen so many. This is what the iPad Pro is going to look like. This is what the yeah, iPad yeah, is yeah. going to look like. This is what the, and I'm like, then why do I want to watch the WWDC coverage? Well, you wouldn't want to watch WWDC anyway because it's developer focus. Yeah. Uh, they usually don't announce Boy. hardware <laughs> at WWDC. So. No, but they're talking about what's going to come in 16. And of course, and the, there's yeah, all the, in the OS if you're using Mac products. Right. That, but. What we're gonna get after we see 16. sometimes they'll sometimes they'll announce something, but it's usually more a software focus conference rather than um, hardware. And people are yeah. people are actually kind of like burning up this year because they think that the uh, their virtual reality product is gonna is gonna be announced now at the show, the big... and that's not gonna get announced at the show. Uh, they're they're a year so. away from production. But they're already talking about, oh, this is what we think the MacBook's going to look like, and this is what we think the iPad. They're not even going to launch them at WWDC. Like that's why I'm like, this is silly. But that—that's exactly what I was going to ask. So here they are. That right? There's the little. There's the little. Um, you know, bait in the water. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get the sharks. And it's going to be an OS 10 event. I mean, (laughs) right? Yeah, and it's (laughs) it. But what it it. That's what NAM coverage that came up to NAM has reminded. It's we're gonna have this, we're gonna have this, yeah. and it's very few surprises. So it's like, hey, look at us. We're standing in front of the booth with Ernie Ball. Hey, we're standing in front of the booth with so and so. And it's like, yeah. So okay, all that stuff was already right, you know. right. So I think the interesting things about NAM are are really like the um, personal interaction. And I watch the coverage because I'm not watching for the product. A lot of times I'm watching for how the company behaves, who their salespeople are, how they treat the people they're talking to, 
Um, what are the features they're prioritizing in the conversation? Because that's one thing that's really, really funny. When you go to a when you go to a booth at a convention, especially for this kind of product, like you get the the upsell that's in the that's in the sales documentation, but oftentimes right. they prioritize different information in person. So like right. um and we'll talk about we'll talk about the AMBAX later, but because that was part of my whole journey through this NAM coverage. So basically, let's go back in time, right? Back to the Jurassic era of like 2010. When NAM happened, the information would get onto the internet through text, right? Nobody was right. doing video back then. Um, and you would pick up a Guitar World magazine um, and yep. they would try to get the issue out like right around NAM, and you would see like their coverage, right? And that was how you got your information from NAM. You got it either yep. from a magazine or you got it from one of the text websites like Harmony Central or guitar.com. Yep. Um, yeah, and Premier Guitar was a thing back then too. Uh, actually, so this is like, this is what, 12 years ago? No, it's probably even older than that at this point because I think YouTube started in 2009. So there was starting to be yeah. coverage on YouTube at that time. Um, so this is why I was frustrated all weekend because I had the opportunity to go to NAM. I could have I spent the money and I could have gone, right? I My airfare could have been paid and um, I just could have gone. And I didn't. And I didn't go because I was like, do I really want to go fly across country to, you know, just do a marathon session running through this place and trying to capture video and stuff and talk to people and network? And it just didn't sound like an appealing thing right now. I got too many other projects going on, so I kind of just put it off. Like about three weeks ago was my do or die, and I was like, nah, this ain't the year. So, um... But I, I kick myself now because the, the so we live in the era of live streaming. We're live streaming this podcast. Uh, I live stream music performances on Twitch. Uh, you can go on a number of different apps and watch live streams all day long uh, and find live entertainment from actual folks sitting at their computer, right? Right. Um, and, and or out in the field with a camera and a live stream you know, apparatus, right? Like an ATEM Pro or something like that. Fast forward to what's going on at NAM right now. And I found one live stream on, uh, I think, Friday afternoon. And they walked uh -huh. around for two hours and 45 minutes. And it was like, um, yeah, let us know in the chat what you want to see. And they were just totally fucking ignoring the chat. I was like, this coverage sucks. I Can I say something about that? Let us know in the chat what you think. Yeah, don't That's ask us if you're not going to, if you don't give a shit. 99% of these channels don't give two flying rats asses what you put in the chat. You could say, suck my hairy ball sack in the chat. And you know what they, you know what they, you might get Thanks, moderated. Thumbs up, you know, because they don't care. They just don't care. All right. And, he, and when they do, they take it like it's a front. It's like. You know that, you know, um, you, you say something in the chat, and I'm not saying that. I, I rarely ever put anything in the chats. Um, and nine times out of ten, they'll, they'll say um, something like, uh, tell us what you think in the chat. And do you ever see them even give you a like or anything? And there's only like 10 or 12 comments in the chat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like no our show, where there's like one or two comments per episode. Yeah. I'm the only person that's commented so far. Yeah, I, mean, I know. How just, about that? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> And I don't, you know, I, I, we don't beg for that. And I, and 
it's such a it's such a cheap chintzy way of getting people to to make comments in the chat if you don't like what people say like um they'll, they'll say oh well this person said this about the color of my tie or whatever in the chat at least you got somebody to put some in the chat that's what the youtube algorithm is about yeah you know that's what you were looking for you weren't worried about what they said you didn't care if they liked the blue color of the guitar you just worried about the chat that's i i just wanted to say that because it's just so often i see that in the chat in the in the youtube things and i'm like you know what you don't care you don't even get somebody to at least go through and like on the damn things so just shut up about so, your say something in the chat stuff you don't care so i won't so i won't name this channel you can go look like i'm sure you'll find out who it is but um they go and they're like first thing he did is like let's go to the martin booth and it's a guitar channel, right? So let's go to the Martin booth. And I'm like, wow. So we're going to go back to Martin and we're going to go look at a bunch of really, or really inexpensive guitars that are basically built like trash. And then we're going to look at a really a bunch of really expensive guitars that are stratospherically expensive. Nothing and, in between. Nothing in between. Um, now, I'm not saying that a Martin built like trash sounds like trash. I'm just saying that like they're not well built. When you got a Stratabond neck, that that's plywood. That's what it is. Yeah. We've talked about it on the show before. Uh, it won't warp. I can say that much about it. Um, so uh, they go in, and then, like, of course, the Martin guys come over, and they're like, oh, yeah, hey, what's up? And they walk them around the thing, and they're like, here, let me show you our diamond-studded um, yeah. Whatever fucking anniversary they want to make it this year, guitar, right? Celebrating three million, three million guitars built over the life of the company or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's got diamonds in it, okay? And we're talking like right in the body. We're not even talking like in a fretboard or anything, like in the body, okay? Um, and this guitar is probably a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars. It's not okay. going anywhere, it's going right back to the Martin Museum in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. That's that's, right. that's where it's going. Okay, it's gonna hang in that room that you've got when you walk in. To go yeah, to the tour with there. all the other yeah. with all the other diamond encrusted guitars they built. You know, <laughs> yep, the <laughs> Harley Davidson one and the and the one they built for so and so. They weren't even like Gibson. Gibson at least when they made the NASCAR ones, they sent them out to bars and shit. They they, they didn't even do. They don't even do that. They just like. We made this really super expensive guitar. They're so guitar. high on the right fact here. that they're making art. Like, in their mind, yeah. their guitars are art. And they're right. so high it's on that hard. that they make these guitars that are just like, why? This isn't even right. good for promotion. Okay? Right. Um, like, because so, who sees it? So Yamaha made something that I saw that was just, like, on the wall there. They made a piano painting that you could play. Oh. Like sit down. It was actually oh, a mechanical piano, cool. and wow. I was like, okay, that was probably really expensive, but yeah. that's an item that you could hang in your facility that no one else has, right? Like right. no one else is doing anything like that, <clears throat> and yep. or, and or they could gift it to one of their artists or something like that. Somebody who's brought in Yamaha a lot of money over the years. Maybe somebody like Carlos Santana, who was a yep. big Yamaha endorser in the eighties. Um, yep. you know, somebody like that, right? Like when they're done with this conference, they don't have to haul that thing around forever. Or maybe they donate right. it to one of their big, uh, one of the big, uh, music retailers like right. Sweetwater to put on the wall or there something like a, that. There was a similar thing built. And the only reason I bring this up is because I was watching, uh, 
what's that guy? Beards and gear or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gear and beards. Um, and he had, I had to laugh because the, he does the ridiculous reverb listings. Mm-hmm. And this week he had the huge We should bring guitar. those back. We should bring he ours did, back. Does, yeah. It's, yeah, we should. And, and it was nine feet. Yeah. It's a guitar that's nine feet. And it weighs like, I can't remember what the number was. I was like, what's it weighing? Like 70, 80 pounds. No, it was like 200 pounds. I mean, it's ridiculously heavy. And it takes four people to lift it. I want to say it weighed over 300 pounds. And um, anyway, and I was like, that's a ridiculous NAM piece that's actually gone right. I mean, it's on sale reverb. You could buy it right now if you get the money. And I can't remember how much it was, but it's like a ridiculous number. But it's but if I was a business and I I had bands coming through or whatever, I would think that you know, that's pretty cool. And it's twenty thousand dollars. But if I had a you know if I had a really like the popular bar in Miami or something like that, mm. put that thing up, yeah, I'd buy that thing. So, but you see what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, so this is the only live stream, right? And so they go from there right. and they they kind of wander around. And they end up over at. Um... They end up at the Reverend booth and like, cause mm-hmm. they're friends with the guy from Reverend. I forget what his name is, the guy that runs it. Ken Haas. Yeah, uh, Ken Haas is that it. Yeah, I'm in, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then of course Joe Naylor's I'm there too. Acquaintance. Joe Naylor oh. is there too. Oh yeah. He's yeah. the guy that actually founded uh, the company and then sold it when he had to, when they they were no longer profitable and they decided to move you know production overseas and stuff. Um, yep. so anyway, then they they end up over at the um over at the Ernie Ball booth and then at the Asa- or the Asabi, the Abasi booth. Um, right. And actually, um, they did show one company, and I their name escapes me at the moment. They were seeking, and this is why I want to talk about NAM because NAM's purpose has changed. It's very clear. Right. Um, there was a company there who was seeking a distributor, okay? Mm-hmm. This is a company. I, I think they're made. They're either made in Mexico or Southern California, and it's it, it. The guys are Mexican, right? Like they're making these guitars, and the dude play. The dude that was doing the live stream, he picked one up and played one. He's like, "Oh my god, like this is a really great instrument. Like what the hell? Why are you know why are these not everywhere?" And they had these radical finishes. They were almost like holographic finishes. And I'm not meaning like like metal flake hollow stuff right, right. i'm talking like holographic finishes you could see depth in it like you'd see at the wow. sharper image or something like that and right. they were doing some wild stuff and he asked the price and he's thinking it's going to be five or six thousand guy says 3500 wow and, and he says uh for the special finished ones those are like 3500 and then he said like we're not really sure on the price for the lower the lower end ones um, yeah. But the common colors will be less expensive, significantly less expensive. And the cool thing was they had a toggle switch in them that took the electronics from Fender to Gibson. So, like, you got your Bumblebee cap on one side, and you, on the other side you have your typical Fender-style cap, right? Um, yeah. And it had uh, humbuckers, but they were splittable, and they sounded really good as singles. And um, it was just like a whole interesting, and they were baked maple, and they had like radical bodies. They were sort of like reverends in the way that they were styled, sort of, um, kind of like a re- cross between a reverend and an explorer or something like that. And they had a couple of different body styles, and they were like a buzz. There were a lot of people at that booth. 
In fact, mm-hmm. when the guy was standing there, Ryan Burke walks by, right? And I'm like, and then he starts, of course, that's right up his alley. So he's like picking him up and playing him and stuff. And um, I was like, this is what Nam's going to be. Right. Like this is going to be companies, guys working out of their garage going to either get bought by a bigger company or to, uh, you know, because that's start. That's what startups do. Right. Or to go there to seek distribution so they can actually make their dream a reality. Um, Wasn't that what I mean? Wasn't that the the crux of Nam pre 30 years ago? Yeah. Many many years ago, like Jim Dunlop going there and stuff. Right when they were a new company, uh, when Dunlop USA was a new company, that was like what was going on at that time. You went to Nam if you had an innovative new product, like Larry Demarzio got to start there, and right, you were looking to get it into those stores. Now, Mm -hmm. of course, that wasn't Streetwire at the time. It wasn't even Guitar Center. It was just stores. Everybody was super small at that time too. It was like. Fender was like putting out like a thousand guitars a year, and some of these other companies, like 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 a company like MXR, who were building pedals out of their basement, would go to right. Nam and pick up distributorship, and like right. then they'd have mom and pops to sell to. That's what right. Nam was. Like yeah. it's not this media blitz for us. It was always for mom and pop businesses to find right. product, right? And so even yeah. Sweetwater just did coverage this year, Jim. Sweetwater yeah. was walking around and they were like, I saw oh, that yeah, was really yeah, this this is going to be at Sweetwater. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Um, I, that was why I didn't watch a lot of it. Yeah. So so but, and then, you know, that, that the channels we normally watch, nobody went. No, that's, oh, that's just it. Or if they went, watch- their coverage won't be out until Monday, Tuesday. And it's old news right. anyway. Yeah, because I don't know if Anderton's went or not, but I noticed that they didn't have. Usually, they do like a live stream of them driving to Nam and stuff like that. Chappers was that. there. Chappers. He said, said he, was he going. wasn't going to be, and then he turned around and changed his mind like a week ago, and then he was there. Yep. He said, uh, "Yeah," because I saw one of his things where he said, "I bought a new guitar, blah blah blah. I'm going to be at Nam." Um, I wasn't going, but I'm going. Yeah. And. Uh, Casino, you know, I watched Casino. They didn't go. I mean, there, there's so many. But there's a plethora things. of reasons. There's a plethora of reasons not to go. I mean, number one, I the, the big the elephant in the room, of course, is that Fender, Gibson, and PRS were not represented there, which means right. that all of the Fender family of brands, including the PA yep. stuff that they own and all that shit, right? None of that went. You're looking at right Kramer, Jackson, Gretsch. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those things are not there. And so you've got, yeah, you had Music, uh, music Man, Ernie Ball and Music Man. Um, you had Ibanez. Um, and which, then... which Ibanez's booth was hilarious. Um, they, they, their big feature was that they had the Hydra guitar that Steve I used on that uh, the last album, and then they yeah, had, sure. they have a new P, they have new Pia's coming, and then they yep, had a they had a Pia. prototype Pia. Uh, which is not an official model yet, but it's coming. You know it's going to be, which is the swirl um, to commemorate 35 years of the gem. But see, um, that's that's what I was getting at. It's like PRS, Fender, and Gibson are, try- are trying to keep up and catch up to what they were behind. And so I could see why they're not going. And like you and I talked about before, who cares if another p- color of Silver Sky is coming? Right. 
And so it's like, I think, I think Fender and Gibson and PRS decided not to go because they are now big enough to hold their own media events and they can do it without, and they can do it. Nam's investment. That's right. And that's right. They save a lot of money. When you're a big company like they are and they go to Nam, they're putting up more money than everybody else to put on a show. So like, think about that. If you're Fender and you're going to Nam, you're putting up enough money that you're helping prop up Gibson. And Gibson is putting up money to prop you up. Right. (laughs) Like, think about how screwed up that is. It's like, think about it like a mall. They're the anchors, right? They're the Macy's and used to be Sears, JCPenney you know, whatever in your, in your local area, but nobody goes to malls anymore. So now it's all just the little things, you know, there's lids and there's uh well, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody would. And, and, and if you, and if you're saying this, I'm going, I, I kind of want to reach the computer and strangle you a little bit. Ibanez is not a little company. Okay. No, 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 no. They are definitely not. They are at least one of the big five. (laughs) Okay. Ivan as a music man. That's how I I conceded that Ivan as a music man were the big ones there. But I'm just saying that just like the malls, a lot of the anchor stores are going. I don't think Music Man Um, has a a horse in that race in terms of being big. Ernie Ball, on the other hand, definitely. Well, isn't Ernie Ball part of Music Man or part of They own Music Man. But okay. that's so I'm just saying that's a small portion of their business. I know yeah. people think like to think music man's are amazing and they're so popular. <laughs> Believe me, if, if you'd see a hell of a lot more music man's out in the wild if music man were as popular as you think they are. You know what I mean? Like if they were one of the yeah. big you see plenty of Ibanez, yeah. but you don't see much but, much music man in, in local right. clubs Ernie, and stuff. Right, but Ernie Ball isn't just the music man guitars or basses. Right. It's the or strings, even, even it's the, the accessories, right. strings, it's the cables and all, and all the, that. Yeah. And and they that's where the bread and butter is from anyway. That's the right. And that's gonna be always gonna be the bread and butter of mm-hmm. that company. Um, you know, it, it, it's uh it's just the way of the, the of the you know, the way the company is. But I think Ibanez, the reason they're so that it's still important to them, they're not in the US. Right. Well Ibanez so, Ibanez so I don't know how Ibanez works because technically Ibanez doesn't make anything. Like I don't know if you knew that or not. Like they they right. have a company back home that actually makes their stuff. So right. Fujigen, okay, and yeah. um, so they're just a design house for Fuji Fujigen and Fujigen. and Cortec because Cortec right. makes all the Indonesian stuff. Right. So because from the very beginning, I. I I think I remember seeing that on Josh Scott's show once about Fujijan and Ibanez and how the Tube Screamer wasn't even made. By, no, it was made by Maxon. Made by Maxon. And then later by. Yeah. So that's, you know, but again, what I'm saying is that 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 might be a reason to have that there. I, but one of the things that that, um, of course, I didn't watch a lot of coverage, but um some of the people that were watching covers just said a lot of the guitars this year are signature guitars. Like, yeah, so there was like a channel that was saying that like all oh, the new stuff and I and we know it was Phil McKnight. Like, oh, that's the trend this year, signature oh, oh, guitars. It? I, no, honestly, it, I you know, and that's the that's the stupidity of this, right? So all right. There were a lot of signature guitars 
but that's because Ibanez and Music Man were there, right? They were the yeah. only two big, and that's like, their, that's their yeah. bread and butter too. They're not even the big guitar companies. Let's let's be real. What Ibanez and Music Man are, they are the companies that like the YouTubers like to prop up because the YouTubers get product from them. Okay, right, and and that's part of it, right? And and so yep. there's a relationship there. But but when I see when I see um. Phil McKnight say that is I kind of back of my mind was like no those are the guitars you care about like that doesn't necessarily mean that's the trend those are the guitars you care about which is okay right um, but it's it's pretty clear he's you know laser focused on the things that he wants to buy because he thinks they might be worth something um, so like the Pete Thorne sir um, which is hilarious yep. I think they want they want for that thing like thirty seven hundred dollars or something like that for for a Strat with a with a humbucker in it um and uh not that not that i think pete pete's a bad player or anything or like has bad taste yeah. i think there's a surtax sur sur <laughs> certainly likes the smell of their own farts yeah they got they got a surtax um because they choose to operate in one of the most expensive areas of california and uh want to pay their people and this is where i was talking about earlier the living wage um sir definitely uh likes to ratchet up their uh, value a little bit um, oh, yeah. so, okay. And then, so like Rev was there, right. And Rev was showing off a new pedal and I think it was a Steve Lukather pedal pedal or something Ooh. like that. Um, I could probably, let, let me, let me go look at Rev's website. Where we're talking about this. Um, so I, you know, just as, just as, a uh, to, to kind of get off the topic of like, um, the coverage, there was stuff at NAMM. Okay. Right. Um, right. And I think I think a lot of it got overlooked because, well, there's nothing here from Fender, Gibson, PRS, and so a lot of the YouTubers didn't go, and then it ended up being this whole thing. Well, it's not just that, right? It's like COVID is still a thing, and um, you know, travel is still a pain in the ass for a lot of people because because the the airline industry is now charging more for tickets and all that all this different stuff um, because they're at lower capacity than they were before. Um, well, so, I said I said this. No, before. Sean Tubbs. Said, it's not. It's not Luca. There is. It's a Sean oh. Tubbs pedal, which you know he's no he's no joke either. No. Um, so and it's called the Tilt Overdrive, and it's a boost and drive circuit in the same pedal, um, and it has their Tilt EQ design in there. And I guess mm. they worked on this pedal for like two or three years. Like this is a long ass project, and they and they were talking about how how strange that was. So let's uh, oh, let, yeah. let yeah. me show the. I'm gonna show the audience. Hang on. I have a picture up. There you go. Tilt overdrive. Nice. Well. And it's got his name laser etched in it. Of course. It's kind of cool. Which is cool. Um, I want to know what happened to number two and number one. Yeah, this is serial yeah. number three. Where's number two and number one? You know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> we talk about we talk about those things. Um, that's nice. I like that. Um, I, I it was Trogley today. I was talking about some of the stuff in the Gibson demo shop because he does this weekly thing. Yeah, and yeah. He was talking about the serial number. And he goes, if this was two zero two zero two zero two zero or something like that, this would be the one to get. <laughs> Who cares? Do you think some oh collectors like God, sitting out there man. going, "Man, that serial number is so fucking cool! Like, I'm gonna pay an extra uh, ten thousand for that one. I'm gonna turn this guitar around just so people can see the serial number." 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it back first. There so is you can look at the serial one number. serial number that matters. One, and that one. is one. One. That's right. <laughs> it's very simple. It's very simple. I mean, unless you're interested, like you're 55 or whatever when you when the guitar comes out, so you want number 55. Whatever. Yeah. That, that might be the one you want because of that weird right, thing. Right, right, right. But that's specific to you. It doesn't necessarily right. make the value of the instrument go up. Okay. No. But, oh, my God. Some of the things he says about the guitar is like, oh, my God. So are you familiar with Eastman guitars? Yes. Okay. Yes. They're not my vibe. I get it. That 60s Jetsons uh, thing. Well, I'm going to show you something. Sure. And I want to see. Let me show you something. <laughs> yeah, let me show you something because because uh, Eastman's got a new guitar coming out, and oh. uh, this is clearly going for the throat of a com company that we all sort of probably are vaguely aware of. Uh, what does that remind you of, Jim? Does that that look kind of like a Novo to you? Oh my God! Right in the face. Yeah, Juliet, where for out there, Juliet? <laughs> and these are no joke. Okay, so. It's a solid body. Um, they are worn in, okay? Not like super relict, but worn in. Um, they have bare-knuckle pickups in them, factory, okay? Which, take it or leave it, some people like bare-knuckle, some people don't. Um, yep. They have the German carve on the neck, and the, the headstock is... I mean, this is like an interesting design. But even on the tuner side, there's a there's a stack, Right? Um, and then, um, they're doing it with P90s as well as humbuckers, yeah, as well as humbuckers. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, these are going to be, US, it's got a USA Bigsby on them. I don't know where they're being made at, but honestly, I looked at these and I went, well, I don't really have a reason to buy a Novo now. Uh, because like the black one looks great. The one in the picture yeah. up top, I mean, I'm scrolling up. You'll see it in a second. Um, it's just worn the right way to look cool. And yep. the I saw the, uh, they picked it up off the wall. Of course, they had the prototypes there and they were playing them. And they look like, like the finishes looked like they were hand painted on them. I mean, it was like hilarious looking. It looked like a vintage guitar that's been rode hard and put away wet. And I was like, that's what are they cool. going to get for these guys? So I actually let's bucks. let's see let's see what they're gonna get for them. We'll go to a dealer locator, and see. Uh, do they have any major dealers? I wonder here in the states. I don't know. Um, I want to see I like CME. I want to see like Chicago Music Exchange probably deals them. I know that black one's twenty two hundred forty bucks. Yeah. According to their site. Eastman. No, they don't. Oh yeah, no wait. They do. Uh, I just want to see if they have pre-orders for these out yet. It'll be interesting to see what these go for. Because Eastman's not known for being, like, super expensive. I think they're imported, aren't they? Yeah. Are they yeah, chi are they Chinese? Overseas. Oh, I don't know. But I do know they come from overseas. I thought they were from England. No? No, I don't think so. I don't... I, I forget offhand where they come from. but I, But I'm thinking it's Far East. So... Um, but they're like they're like the high quality Far East stuff, because I remember their three thirty fives are really really sought after. In fact, I think we have somebody in the in the Facebook group that has one. Uh, he's got a three thirty five style, like the T the T four eight six here, something like that. Well, they're definitely going after that market. 
Yeah, so these are going to be hollow, or these are going to be solid body. I suspect these guitars are going to come in right around a thousand bucks. And, like, that's kind of what we need to see is some real stiff competition at about a thousand dollars. So, I, I saw these and I was like, I don't normally go for that sort of thing, but like, I was like, all right, yeah, all right. You know, that, that's a classic looking relic guitar if you want to get that vibe going. Uh, P90s, yes. And uh, also humbuckers that are actually decent ones to start with. So, uh, and they do. So they're they're talking about they do different. So they do the antique varnish, right? They do true tone gloss, which is like mm -hmm. your brand new stuff, and then true tone yeah. vintage gloss, which is like aged, old finishes. Yeah, so, uh, they're they're made in Beijing. Yeah, China. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um, these are going to be, cause they mentioned they were like, they, they're waiting on when they're going to show up. So there's a price for, for, uh, like that, that particular model right there is going to be 1700, but they don't have pricing for the yeah. new ones yet. I don't think, oh, they do 2240 for antique varnish. So we don't know what they're going to be like with, uh, the other finishes yeah, without, so yeah. anyway, I, you know, if you're looking for Novo, you might want to consider one of these, um, yeah, that kind of money. you don't want to pay five thousand or six thousand dollars for a Novo. Um, yep. So, because I think they, because they were forty forty four hundred, I think, custom, and that I think they've gone up since then. So, um, and then of course this is the this is the big spill, right? So we talked about Music Man. Of course, they did have an interesting announcement. So this is worth actually having a little bit of a conversation about. Um, we have these guitars that look very familiar and that's because the kaizen which is that model is based on <laughs> well it's designed by tosin abasi let's just let's just put it out there yep. so what do you do yep. about abasi guitars now because abasi concepts their guitars are well they're i think they're about four thousand dollars right yep. so now they're going to have this which i suspect will be around three thousand bucks um I don't. I haven't seen anywhere where they publish the price, and they are multi-scale. So it's the first. I think this is the first Music Man multi-scale. Which right? They, do they do the eight-string uh, JPM model, the John Petrucci? In in. Uh, I wonder. I think that came multi-scale as well, because once you start getting into eight st eight strings and stuff, like you sort of need it. Um, I think that was one of the most interesting things that came out of this year's man. Honestly. So here's a, here's a, here's a shitty thing, right? So like, the Cutlass has been the model they've been shitting on lately. Um, those are butt ugly finishes, I think. I think, but these are totally aimed at the uh, the Ultra, the uh, the Fender Ultra, right? Um, I don't care for the Stingray myself. I actually wanted to see just while we're here because we we talk about Music Man on the show every once in a while. I want to see. The finishes for the uh, cutlass they're currently doing because we've talked about that on the show before i almost bought a cutlass i i got pricing for a cutlass twice um because i was interested in one and every time i've looked at them like they haven't had had good finish yeah so they're still doing vintage tobacco and powder blue for the humbucker one what a joke and then the, this one is still going to be the Vintage tobacco and powder blue. Okay, so the, yeah, they're doing the same one for both. 
And of course, when the prices went up from 2000 to 2600, I said, you're fucking high. Um, this is a strat killer. It's nothing but that. So don't think you're going to get $3,000. You are not, sir. Um, you know, there's no tax for Ernie Ball in my mind. So, yeah. uh, this was the other company I wanted to talk about. So Reverend launched their, their 25th anniversary stuff. And I think they actually did that prior to Nam, but, uh, it's worth mentioning. So they did these, right? Um, which this is a, a cool finish. I like the, the, the look of them. Um, it has the 25, the XXV, uh, 12 fret marker, which might be your jam, might not be your jam. Um, but this is also, so they're doing this Billy Corgan signature, yeah. Z1. They're also doing it in the 25th anniversary finish, I think. That's, so, the, that's the one I'm kind of, yep, there it I've is. been watching for. So that one is, uh, that one was really cool. They had that they had that one in there and they were demonstrating and stuff. Hardtail bridge, rail hammer pickups. Um rail hammer pickups are actually going to be I, I I don't think this is a new thing, but you can now buy them outside of, you know, uh Reverend guitars. So um they were talking about new designs coming from, from Rail Hammer. Uh including yeah. they have a split single now. So it's actually like a humbucker sized looking pickup, but it's actually a split single coil. Um, so, you know, it's like a Comanche, Gino Comanche, where the pickups are, you know, two, two coils for two different, like like a P base. Right. Okay. So, um, I thought that was cool. And then we, we, this is actually the thing that I found out about like most recently, because the company that we all forget that still props up a massive amount of the industry is Yamaha, Right. And I'm not talking about guitars because they're massive on the other side of things. They're one of the few publicly traded instrument manufacturers where you can go and buy their stock, right? And they have Revstar, but they also own Line 6. And Line 6 is so big now that they should be considered right alongside Ibanez and Music Man as the hottest companies in NAMM this year. Um, And they didn't have anything to launch, which was hysterical Uh, to me. Not a thing. Yeah, because they they didn't have anything i found that surprising well Shocking. i was expecting so like last nam that they attended um they did a big announcement about the next helix update and i was expecting that and that may have happened but i wasn't paying attention so i will probably go look for that after the show silver um so anyway RevStar professional made in japan so you know the rev stars are kind of known for being like an inexpensive line of guitars from yamaha except for these and I think these were actually announced before the show, but they were showing them off and they were actually like having artists play them and stuff on stage. Um, and these look really wild. Okay, so you've got a chambered body um, that is, and this is this is the kicker, right? So it's not just a chambered body for weight relief. They designed it with acoustics in mind. So to get the guitar more resonance, uh, it's got a five-way switch. It has, I don't, I'm not sure how exactly how this works, but it's a passive boost. So I assume that's something like, um, who are the, uh, Tom Anderson, Anderson Guitar Works. I'm assuming that's something like they have, right. um, which is probably just removing, uh, tone controls or something to get more boost out of the guitar. Um, they're humbuckers and then they have P90 style single coils. Um, they're custom designed, of course, and they use all Nico magnets, which is nice. Uh, but you're going to get that at this price point because we haven't seen the price yet. Um, this is interesting. So they didn't talk about what the process is. I have a feeling this is akin to um, 
some of the things that uh, Fujigen is doing for Ibanez, like the uh, cryo treatment to guitars and all that. Um, but they're saying that their guitars uh, are artificially aged to respond differently. Uh, like an old vintage guitar that's been played within an inch of its life, which I think is really cool. Uh, it's also interesting that they're using this as a marketing thing. We think about this in acoustic guitars, right? Like if you play an acoustic guitar more, the top breathes and eventually it, you know, starts to, to resonate in a different way. And it becomes a, uh, it becomes a different instrument than what you first bought. Right. Whereas you can take, you know, $400 acoustic and play the shit out of it. And it'll sound like an $800 acoustic. Um, so this is what they're going for though. $3,200 MSRP. That's not necessarily map, but it'll probably be close to that. Now, right. I know that if you go to your dealer and you ask them, you can get a deal on a Yamaha. These are probably going to be right around 2500 bucks, I think. But, I mean, if they are what they purport to be, and, right. I mean, they're, they're a unique thing in the marketplace. And, I, I listen, I know everybody's like, Yamaha doesn't make good guitars. Yeah, they do. They've always made good guitars. The problem is that Yamaha makes ugly guitars. Um, and I think the Revstar is actually a really, really nice-looking guitar for what they normally do. Um, if yeah. you don't believe me, go look at Pacificus because they're one of the ugliest Strat copies that you can oh, I know. that you can find on planet Earth. So. Yeah. Um, uh, who's the guy? Shoot. Um, English guy. He's... Welcome to Friday Fretworks. Oh, Chris Buck. He... Um... Uh, he was talking about his new Revstar um, that Yamaha built for him with a pair of P90s and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um sounded good. But a Chris Buck can make a, a cheese sandwich sound good. So Yeah. It's I'm, like... <laughs> Jay Leonard J was demonstrating one, and I was like, yep. it's Jay Leonard oh, J. You know? I know. He... <laughs> I mean, it's like... <laughs> He, you could get him. You could get him uh, six strings on a milk carton, and he'd make yeah. that thing like just sound like a million bucks. So yeah, it's like, it, what would be cool? You mentioned that. You know, what would be cool is to have Jay Leonard J playing a milk carton guitar with "Have You Seen Me," and it would be Jay Leonard J's own picture. Yeah. Well, it was cool because he was playing. Um, he was playing on a stage, and then behind him, he had. Uh, they had a picture of him with his glasses on, you know, and it had his Instagram yep. logo underneath it and everything. I was like, how, I mean, like how self-serving here you are playing a concert and then there's this big sign saying your name and like your Instagram yep. location and stuff behind you. And it's yep. like, it's like, wow, dude, damn. It's like you know, you didn't have a choice in it, but. Uh... Yeah. I, I love Jay Letter J's playing. He is very very same with chris bach i mean obviously both of those guys got real strong fundamentals but like jay leonard jay is like one of those dudes that just his rhythm is just freaking that's all you need to play guitar is to practice rhythm that's what i'll tell you because if you if you can do anything and you can play chord if you could do anything on the guitar correctly play your chords in time and everything else falls into place yeah like he's He's just incredible. I, I mean, seriously, he's just got it. Mm-hmm. it that's got to be one of the best guitar players as far as, like you talked about. He he can play anything, and it's like, have you ever seen a drummer? You sing, too. A drum, yeah, you'll see him play a drum thing, but when they go to a solo, they can't get back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timing. 
Jay Leonard J can play a funky thing, go out, do this <laughs> yeah. incredible, and then come back and just nail and it. Never lost. He never he never lost the one. Like he's just he's right on it. You yeah. know. Um. Yeah. So. I switched topics because um, this is really, we already started to touch on this and I wanted to get the coverage first. So like there's other stuff. Uh, Amp X was announced and like shown off. There was a video on Friday. Actually, the video was more informative than the NAM coverage was. Um, yeah. Basically, it's a it's a half working prototype he's showing, but it's, it, it's all software stuff that they need to fix now at this point. Um, he right. did talk about the fact that they're going to take the, combination jack screw up and turn it into regular xlrs um oh they are yeah okay. and because they already have a stereo out you can use for for regular quarter inch you just need to have a splitter you know an insert cable for it so it's not a big deal um but it's one of those you know kind of like weird guffaw moments but i saw like when the guy was doing the walkthrough i saw his booth right i saw blue blue guitar there and there was a crowd of people around that booth and I'm just like, wow, there's probably going to be a lot of coverage on this. And there's like two videos show up, you know, and it's like, what the you hell? <laughs> he, he reminds me of Scrubs. The funniest show nobody watched. I mean, yeah, dude, like are, I, yeah. I, he's starting to pick up steam. He would not have sunk the amount of, but cause this is, a, so this is, he's been very open about this. He's spending his personal money to prop blue yeah. guitar up. If he didn't believe in this. He wouldn't be doing it because uh, right. he'd be broke. Um, and this is a project that has taken five years to get to the stage where he's at. He's got another six months to go. And he basically said, like, we're not broke, but this is we're in trouble. <laughs> like, if this doesn't if this doesn't work out for us, we're in trouble. Um, right. So I have a feeling but he says, you know, it's a 10 year development cycle. So they got 10 years to recoup the money. But it's like um, one of those things where. You know, if you have any doubts, realize that this guy is literally staking his life on this. I mean, he's putting up a lot of money. His livelihood is is in there. Mm -hmm. Um. So anyway, go watch that video. We covered the yep. Ampex launch last week. The basically the tones are there. He showed a couple of clips. I played the you know Marshall stuff, and then the end he he. Also, basically, what sounds like a Tweed Deluxe, and it sounds like a yep. freaking Tweed Deluxe, and that is not something yep. we have seen out of the other two Amp One products. Um, and he goes through some of the delays and stuff. So he has a copy of his his uh, Hughes and Kettner Tube Replex, which is like a delay that he designed. Um, it's a it's a tube echo plex with a digital, uh, with the with a digital echo in it, right? So it's a right. the tube preamp and everything surrounding it. It's a really cool pedal. It's a giant fucking hog on a pedal board, though. Um, and I'm, I'm actually hoping he reissues it as a smaller stomp box too. Um, yeah. but it, uh, it's in there and it sounds identical to the real deal. So, yeah. and he's like, he's like, it's, he's like, I can't go on stage without one. And so he's like, now yeah. I can use this and it stands in place of mine. So, That's cool. um, I think it's cool. You know, your mileage may vary. If you're interested in smaller rigs and and uh, tubeless setups or like tube light setups, that's yep. definitely a place to look. Um, yeah. So what I wanted to talk about in this next segment though was uh, why did why didn't they show up? Meaning right. Fender, Gibson, PRS, right? 
Um, and I think we sort of covered this already, but I just want to kind of like jump back onto it a little bit because I think there's some other reasons why they didn't show up. Um, I think Fender, Gibson, and uh, PRS are all sort of aware of the faux pas of uh, a media disaster. If they show up and their salespeople come down with COVID, like it's going to be aired in the public because they're large right. companies and large companies yep. don't generally weather those storms very well. Um, no, no. So I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I think for Gibson, Gibson built the garage for a reason. They're not going to attempt NAM anymore. That's just not going to happen for them. That That is their NAM. But they haven't been doing it for a long time before this. So the, COVID was not the reason they stopped. COVID they went, the they went in 2019 though, didn't they? I One thought because right? they because they, they were like off. trying to get back on track because they right. blamed Juskowitz for not going and now they're not right. there again, which suggests either they're out. Hey, they have either well, outgrown it or there is a good yeah, reason I, for them not to be there. I guess timing wise, their return to it was to show, hey, look, here's the two, here's the new Lens Balls and the new you know SGs and our new lines and we're doing this stuff and we've gone back to the basics. We've got rid of the push pulls and blah blah blahs and the and the standards and this that and the other thing. So let's which get back to that. which was a heretic. You can't have and a push pull on a standard. No. Oh, good and God! Unfortunately, unfortunately <laughs> people like Trogley convince people that that they shouldn't have it. But anyway, so um, the the uh, um, not because he wants to convince people, it's because he convinces them that, hey, look at this guitar. Real Les Pauls pay, don't have that. I was willing to pay twelve unless you put it in yourself. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and oh my God, I'm gonna have to sell it because this has a scratch right here, which makes it makes it useless. Anyway, so um, and and he's got a show that that people watch and they convince. Well, people. some people watch it. He's not a he's not a big YouTuber by any stretch. <laughs> no. Um, nor I we, for that matter. More for the comedic value. We're tiny. Anyway, so... Look at our look at our subscriber count, people. Like we're tiny. If you haven't, like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, please hit the notification that bell. We will, that that we will beg for. Um, <laughs> so, um, and you can actually uh, comment, and we will see it, and we will read it. Hey, li will... listen, listen. We are growing. Uh, the podcast yeah. numbers. I didn't tell you, Jim. They're the highest they've been since 2019. And uh, we had that one fluky month where our numbers were like three times their normal amount. But other than that, this is the best we've done since basically uh, Gear Fest, I think, in 2018. Awesome. So we're in think, really good shape on numbers. Yeah, right now. I think we have something different, um, and we don't care. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> it's just at that point now. We don't care about. We don't care about. Um, you know. Oh, we might say or do something that other people, whatever. It, be who you are. Um, and I think that's what we, that's what our, our um, general gist is. But anyway, um, uh, Gibson came back, but then, of course, COVID hit right before they would have had a chance to come back again. And maybe, it maybe gave them a chance to go, you know what? Here's the Gibson garage, just like you said, because they did build it during the COVID thing. Here's Gibson Garage, and here's the thing, and we're in Nashville, and Nash and Nam happens once a year here too. And they so, don't now. And they yeah. now do not have to pay for anyone else 
uh, to prop up their facility either because that's a big part of it, right? Like you go and there's collateral marketing that happens that might actually rob you of sales, which is part of why I like, listen, Fender and Gibson and and PRS do not need to go to NAM to to make deals with businesses to sell their products. No. Now I will say this. No. I did notice something that was going on at NAM Those this businesses year. Businesses go to them. I did know something that notice something that was going on at NAM this year that was kind of surprising to me. And I What's think that? might end up being an ultimate future for that event. Some of these companies were selling product at NAM right there on the floor. And they're not legally, they were not in the past allowed to do that. Uh, it's not le- illegal. It's just a com- it's NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants, wouldn't allow right. that. But I think right. they made exceptions this year. And it may have even been you had to pay a little bit more. But honestly, for some of these smaller companies, like if they did that, they could prop NAM up. Because, right. you know... Like, could you imagine Reverend Guitars coming out with an inventory to NAM? I mean, they would, right? They would, most certainly. We all know that the deals happen on Sunday. Like, show right. up at show up at the hotel, uh, you know, whatever, and and room two three, and then, like we'll give you a guitar because uh, they don't want to carry that shit back. They don't want to ship that stuff home. Like, they would much rather dump it for for cheap prices in a lot of cases well that's how that jackson that randy rhodes jackson that i've talked about mm-hmm. well by the way the background on the other two is those other two uh jackson does own okay and they're the only two by the way that randy got his hands on okay. so the third one he never got his hands on so that might be why um you know even though it was sold accidentally they're not willing to prop up a bunch of money to get it back Right, right. Care. So anyway, yeah. Seems I think, legit. <laughs> yeah. I think the reason they didn't show up is they don't have to. Now, it, it, there's a big difference. And and it started happening before the whole COVID thing. But NAM didn't have to, or I mean, PRS, Fender, Gibson, and to a lesser extent, some of the other companies, the the big companies cuz think about it the bulk of their sales most likely are through guitar center and right. sweetwater and Toman and you know and, stuff a, like and that. a handful of mom and pops that can afford to buy in right and so when you when you think about those large sales forces so to speak there there's no need they go to them the you know guitar center goes to it you know they're they're online looking in their little database things or making their phone calls and going hey what have you got coming what can we get and I, there used to be regional reps that would go around and they you know they stop by those regional reps are pulling back more and more yeah and the regional reps are because the regional rep covering bigger and bigger turfs. Yeah. And why? Because more and more stuff is just being done online. They don't need Bob to come in and show uh, their wares that the they saw it online. They're like, Jim. okay, we want an exclusive. Give me, give me an exclusive. What, what can you make for me that nobody else has? We'll make an iced tea burst. Okay, thanks. All right, we've we've got something we can sell for a two hundred dollar upcharge. Do you remember back when we started this show? We did an episode called Pig and a Poke where we yeah. talked about people not buying guitars online and you were like, you didn't want to do it, but that's I changed. Still, 
And I want to point yeah. out, we said that, I, I said at least, I don't remember what you said in the episode, but I said, that it's only that way now. Like in right. five years, you're going to be buying online because that's, that's right. I, it's just the mode, right? Like that's the industry and right. the way it's gone. And COVID obviously accelerated this even further. But mm -hmm. I think like even you and I were just basically like at that point going at, into COVID, I had bought the Ibanez AZ that I had then returned. And um, I think I'd bought something else on another guitar site unseen online that was not used. So um, at the time that we had that discussion, I think I'd only bought one or two guitars ever online that I hadn't seen, yeah. touched, felt, done. And to be completely honest, you, you look over my shoulder, I got the... Yeah, one the, of them still up there. And that one's still got the sticker on it because it's probably going to get sold. I'm just... I'm holding on to it. I think, I, I think I'll make a couple hundred bucks on the deal. What, so on that, that Squire? At Telly. Yeah. Right now, it's it's like $200 more. I know. I know, man. You don't I'll have to explain up. that to me. I know what the hell's going on in this industry. Uh, but but my point that, that I'm making there is that um uh the the guitar industry and the changes that they're making um is yeah we're gonna we're buying more and more online but other than that les paul custom which that's a big ticket item don't get me wrong a very big ticket item to buy online and on site unseen and i called and i talked to that guy i asked him all kinds of questions before i the trigger on it um but it was in pensacola florida but they did say hey if you don't like it two weeks and send it back or 10 days something like that yeah for that so amount of money <laughs> i would be like i need a personal guarantee <laughs> um but going back to that i still i still think a guitar is very personal maybe maybe it's because we're so used to i at a certain level, we're so used to guitars being flat that that there's like if you buy a Fender Squire Bullet, uh, you know Telecaster at Guitar Center, Sweetwater, you know wherever ZZ Zounds or your local. It, the product, quality's gotten good enough to support buying online. Right, it's going to be the same across the board. It's going to be good. You it, very rarely will you get a broken or you know damaged product so if you're a dealer do you need to go to nam and put hands on a guitar exactly do you no and actually i look for fender to announce their own event yeah i do um i think i think fender next year uh will probably have their own nam style event and it might be at the same time as nam um because i think the nam show is actually going to be a thing i don't think they're going to do winter nam anymore i think it's just going to be the nam show and it'll be the because because nobody was going to the one in in Nashville anyway, because it was too far. Most of the music equipment industry is centered around California, and it was too far for the California folks to travel. And it was like very Gibson specific Gibson relocation Nashville in the seven or is in the 80s. Um, and so it like sort of fit that mode. But and and there's a lot of East Coasters that still exist. But they're generally on the smaller side. So if you have your two biggest benefactors, you know, like if in Fender, right? Fender is probably the biggest benefactor, let's be real. Um, pulling out because they're not going to go to Na Nashville. 
And then you had Gibson pulling out because they didn't want to go to California because it was it costs a lot of money. Yeah. Um. So I I mean that's just my my thought process on, on the whole thing. I think I think that's really why the Nam show kind of collapsed the way it did. It was yep. And it it isn't collapsed. Everybody says Nam is dead. Nam is dead. Long live Nam. It isn't dead. Okay. It's just not in good shape. And it's going to change. It's going to morph, and it's going to be more about obtaining distributorships, obtaining, um, you know, a market, uh, making those deals with mom and pops that still exist, maybe even propping up those mom and pops. I mean, hell, Reverb has had one of the biggest, uh, biggest booths there for the last five years. Um, and I suspect we're going to see more of that going on. And I suspect you will see more education, for the industry, uh, like, you know, teaching business owners, you know, sales tricks and whatever, and how to market themselves online, because NAM is an association. And uh, I work for an association, so that's like very near and dear to my heart, the understanding that like, yeah, they're a professional services association. They are providing services to a profession, which is music merchants. And so for yeah. them, like this isn't necessarily about the trade show aspect of it. Um, Nam will still continue to exist. You will still have a trade show floor. Uh, it will not be um, the consumer electronic show for musicians, although there's still a lot of stuff being shown. Um, I think it's going to be more testing the waters uh, for new products from companies that you haven't heard of before. Um, right. So, and I think it's okay. Personally, I, I like that. So, yeah. All right, segment four. Um, and I didn't really have a lot worked out for this. I thought we could leave this fairly open-ended. Uh, I was actually thinking more like things you've learned from Nam, um, but I, I left it broad because I know that like you didn't watch all the Nam coverage all weekend and I actually didn't watch it all weekend. So I I actually finished my EP this weekend, uh, the new oh. EP that's coming out. So that's gonna... You, you... Nice. I... I have one guitar solo left to do. It's it's not completely finished, um, but it'll be done tomorrow. So uh, six, no, not six months worth of work, but like four months worth of work, five months worth of work concluded today. Uh, I'm I'm in a pretty good mood. <laughs> Needless to say, it was uh, pulling teeth, and I learned some things uh, along the road. Um, so I'm going to share. This is my second EP. Uh, that I've done. I don't have any real desire to do a full-length album, not until I get enough material together. We might redo some of this stuff or whatever and make a full-length album later. There's talk of Tony and I working on doing a... Um, what do you call it? A, uh, a concept album of some sort at some point in the future. I don't know where mm -hmm. that's, what that would be like. Um, and we haven't played live. I mean, we're starting to band. Uh, we have some names picked out that we're kind of like batting, batting back and forth. We're getting really close on that. So that'll obviously probably get announced on the show when it happens. But um, we're still looking for drummer. That's 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 a challenge. But the things I've learned during this process, so like, um, number one, I have always been a very like hands-on, I'll just do it myself kind of person. And this is like the first time where I've done a project where I'm like, Holy shit. I just don't, I can't do it all myself anymore. I can't. I've got too much time 
invested in other things, having kids, uh, work, um, the Twitch thing, which is now consuming some portion of my time, even though I'm not even active right now. Um, this show clearly is, is, and, and in this show, it's actually <laughs> like a really small amount. Now I've reduced yeah. the, the show used to be like this amount. And now it's like this amount. Cause I've gotten everything down to where like, I can just do it in OBS and, you know, like not right. have to do all the sudden. Um, but it's becoming very clear to me from that perspective. Like, I need to focus my effort and my time on specific things. The other thing is I'd always talked about on the show and I've talked about it in real life was that, um, which the show isn't real life. It's infotainment folks. Um, I talked about having home studio, right? Where I could rent out my services to record other people. And I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, I've, I've started to collect some of the stuff. I've got microphones and those are always things that I'll need as a musician. Like, no problem there. Like, I don't have a problem owning microphones. But I'm just kind of like backing off of that idea now and being like, I'm a guitar player. And what I really want to do is play freaking guitar. And I don't really want to fuss with mixing my projects. I don't really want to fuss with mastering my projects. I don't mind recording. It, it's a grueling, brutal process for anyone who's ever actually done a professional recording. Um, if If you have never put yourself under the microscope like that and really like sat there and gone, man, this is just not to the level of any record I've ever bought. Um, and realize you got a lot of learning to do. Uh, it's a learning experience, right? And you're talking about you guys putting together original music. You're going to experience that Jim. Cause yeah. I know, and I know you've recorded and stuff in the past and like all that, but, um, with the tools that are available today, when you look at the time alignment shit and you're like, you're looking and you're like, I'm, a, I, I'm that off. Like what? Um, and even though it sounds fine, like in the room and then you look in the recording thing and you put your headphones on and you're like watching the, the transport move across and you're like, Oh my God. Like I'm seriously like a half beat off there. Like what the hell? Or like I'm a 16th note off there. Um, I didn't have anything going on like that, which, which I got to say, like surprised the shit out of me because normally when I record, like that's always the issue timing. I got to sit with a metronome and, and work out certain things to get them so I can get them, get them perfect. Right. Or I got to do a lot of, uh, takes to, to make something sound right. Um, and I found myself actually using takes for attitude on this project, which was like totally different slant on, um, how I normally do it because we were getting like, I, since, since if it was myself, like I would just spend forever working on this. Right. But because it's a project and we have goals, I'm like, I can't, I can't burn time doing 96 takes on this, which we'll get to right. that in a second. Yep. And so like at some point along the path, I decided, well, this part I'm just going to record and I'll have to do punch-ins. Like this part's a little off. I'll do a punch in here. I'll punch in here and fix this. And that expedited the process some. Um, I got to this last song, which we, well, the song before the last song, which we knew was going to be tough because it is very much like um, me interplay with the singer and the rest of the instrumentation is like basically following the guitar part. And there's literally like, okay, 
it's an ABA structure and B has vocals and it also has a guitar solo in it. And A also has vocals and has a guitar solo in it. And then the outro A is just me, me by myself with vocals. And there's a part in the intro that's like that too. And it's like, oh shit, you know, cause now I'm literally carrying this thing. And I have to you know, make signals and stuff when we play it in the room because it's not a set structure. Like if the solo goes on too long, the solo just goes on too long, right? Um, yep. And so <laughs> what ends up happening is uh, I just sit down and like I had to finite things. I had to say like the solo is going to be eight bars or it's going to be four bars. And then we were moving things around and I'm like, oh shit, now I only got two bars to do or uh, eight bars to do it instead of 16. And so when it has my longest guitar solo on record in it and I'm not rambling, which I don't know how the fuck that happened because this is a seven minute and 30 second song. It's long. Okay. And it has probably my most well thought out solo in it too uh which is the first one but the second one it was like now nah, we're just gonna go for it so i'm recording this the other night okay i had scratch solos i wiped them out i had to redo the rhythms i redid the rhythm tracks three times because i played it wrong the first time i played it more correct the second time and then finally got it right the third time and it wasn't just time alignment and rhythm it was there right. was I literally was not playing it right. Um, I was missing dynamics and um so I change all that up. I get all that I get all that good and tight and make that all work. And then I knew I got the solo right. So at so at nine o'clock on Friday night, I started on the solo. I went to bed at one ish <laughs> and I did ninety six takes. 96 takes now it's Did we some to comp one out of that <laughs> no because i wanted a whole take no <laughs> like the solos i'm like no this is gonna be a whole take so what's funny is i did 96 takes i did 50 mm. of the whole solo and i did like 45 of a punch in for this outro to the solo like the like the final lick right Right. And it's got some very specific stuff going on. And the, the, I flubbed it in the take that I was like, this is a good take. I like this one. Um, I flubbed it and I was like, I can fix that. And I couldn't. And oh, I, I mean, I because I was so tired by that point, like right, physically, right, right. my hand, my pinky hurt, like because there's a whole thing with pinky pull off and, and stuff in there. Um, yeah. And I was just like, th the only time I can ever remember being like physically like, God damn, it hurts to play. Um. And, they, and that's saying a lot because i done things like bleed all over my guitars. Um, so I'm like, I, this is just, it's just not working. I was going to come back and do it in the morning. And I came back and I sat down at the computer and I went and listened to the take that I scrapped and was like, I got to redo that lick. And I'm like, you know what? No, I don't. I stopped myself and I listened to it and I go, yeah, it's off. It's the, it's the half beat off for the, for the beginning of this lick. And the lick sounds like I'm just kind of grasping. It's like I'm gasping and grabbing for breath or something. And I'm like, right. Uh, it's all mushed together and rushed. And I'm like, you know what? That's the attitude of this. We're just going to leave it. And I did. 
And so that's going to be the one that, that I send to our mix engineer when we get, when we find somebody and they're going to be mixing that. And they're probably going to reach me. I reach out to me like, you sure you don't want to fix this? And I'm going to be like, no. <laughs> um, and there was a second solo in that song. As I already said, there's like a long, a long one, like a 32 bar solo or something. Um, may even be longer than that. Might be 64 bars. Could very well be. Um, and I went and I was like, I'm going to redo that one too. And by the time I got done with the other one, after 96 takes and just going through hell, I was like, fuck it, I'm nope. not doing it. I'm not doing it. Nope. And there was one more challenge. One more. So the outro rhythm, the outro A section. Remember I told you uh, I'm playing by myself. There's no click right there because I wanted it to be realistic feeling. So what we did was um, I just turned the click off and then track that section. Right. And... So I have no idea what the tempo is there. Um, and it does drift and it slows down. And it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. And I and I let it happen. And then I had done this on the previous take. Oh, and it dawns on me. I'm like, holy shit. Tony's been working on vocals for that section. I can't change that. And I need to. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, what am I going to do? So I actually doubled it with the correct feel. Uh, I don't know how the hell I got, I got through it, but I did. And that's, what's going to be on the thing. I did it. I took 20 takes, I think, um, just to make sure I got everything right. And yep. like had, had something I felt comfortable with, with no punch-ins on that, by the way, like that was just 20 takes and I got on the 20th one. And I was like, all right, good. Um, the song I did today, I recorded a whole track today. So it was like that whole thing took me. Cause I'd been working on that song specifically for like three weeks. And today I sat down and I recorded a whole tune and it was mm -hmm. like a complicated tune. It's not, it's, I mean, there's like arpeggiated stuff everywhere. And, um, I do need to do the solo on that one, but, but the solo is not going to be a 96 take solo. I can tell you that right now. Cause the solo that's on it right now, that scratch solo was like, it's okay. And I was just yep. kind of dicking around with my guitar and, improvising i was like yeah this is gonna be fun it's it's a weird chord progression to play against if in fact i might actually have the text file of it up um if i no i don't it's it's in power tab somewhere but uh there's like a it's e9 no it's e7 to e flat or e flat nine like e add flat nine and then e7 sharp nine and then it's like um uh, uh, an A flat or no, it's an A sharp thirteen or something. Yeah, it's an A sharp thirteen, dominant thirteenth. That's the chord progression for for part of that solo. There's more to it than that, but that's like the last four chords. So I'm right. gonna have a hell of a time playing against that. Uh, except that I already have done it, so it's not terrible. But um, at least you wrote it. What have I learned from this project? And then, and then just to circle back because I know I've been rambling, and I know Jimmy haven't said a whole lot. Um, you haven't heard any of this stuff yet. So when this, I think this is going to be a surprise for you because it's going to be very different than what you've heard from me before. Um, mm -hmm. But what I learned from this is don't try to be too many damn different things. Like focus on what you, you, you want to work on. Right. And so like, right. if I just work on guitar, I'm going to be better at guitar. I mean, who thought, right? Like this is a stupid thing to like a stupid realization. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
what an odd thing to think. Yeah, I mean, it's a stupid realization. I'm like, not even gonna lie. Uh, if you're listening to me and you're like, God, what an idiot. Um, mm-hmm. It's not that, it's just that I have so many different skill sets that I can use and things that I can solve problems with that right. um, I tend to want to use them all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so learning to back off is going to be important for me. Yep. Uh, what have you What have you learned lately, Jim? I know you're doing a lot of gigging. I'm sure you've learned something. Yeah, had a gig uh, Saturday night. We'll Last get to the gig report too. So you know, if you can kind of keep them um, separate, it'd be helpful. <laughs> you know, believe it or not, it, it, it's weird, but we both learned the same thing this week. So I've had so many balls in the air, um, plates. What is it? The... You're spinning a lot of them. Yeah, I'm spinning a lot of plates. Yeah, I, I feel like a, a, a circus clown, but um, I, you know, all these things that have come from all this time, and I'm like, oh, if I did this, if I did this, if I did this, and what's funny is I haven't thought, well, if I bought this new piece of gear, if I ran out and tried this new thing or whatever. It's actually been a good thing that I've had to sit down and work harder to get more out of the, you know, out of what I'm doing playing the guitar. Um, I I was working on a, a pop solo. Just it, it's kind of similar to your story, uh, and so this song is a song, it's a pop song, and I don't want to go into specifics because it doesn't really matter, but it's a pop song, and it's very specific. You know, there's four bars of this and four bars of this, four bars of this, but it's not one of those, okay, repeat all the, repeat, you know, four bars, copy, paste, right? And it does a quick key change, comes back, goes out to another thing, a whole different feel, three times, then goes into the solo that's over the first bar, um, the first eight bars of the guitar uh, that you did in the beginning. So it's like, it's like, and and um, as much as it feels like a repetitive song, it's not. Um, and uh, like the two verses are the same, and the and the three choruses are the same, but there's like three bridges that that right. break it up. And so. And then the the chorus comes back, or I mean the solo, and I'm doing a solo, and I'm singing right up to the point that I go into the solo. And, uh, but I did, I did all right. I mean, um, but I had to sit, and I had to play that solo over and over and over and over until it was just mind-numbingly easy, which is not easy to say, obviously. Um, And what I found out was that it was because I needed to just play it, you know, play the damn guitar. And what was originally written, the part as it was originally written, wasn't what I played. Because I was like, well, I'm not going to play that, and I don't want to do this, because that won't translate as well live. It won't be as punchy. It won't be as powerful. Um, so I made changes as I went along and made those changes so that they felt like you never really left the original solo. So I did, you know, I did my little thing. 
And everybody's like, man, that was note for note. I said, oh, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that was not note for note. But it sounded like it was note for note, so it was good enough. And uh, that's the important thing. But um, And it was convincing that it was, you know, that it would be note for note. Kind of like doing an imitation of a person, you know, you do imitations of, you know, people who do Christopher Walken. Oh, that's right, right, right. Christopher Walken. Until you hear Christopher Walken, you go, no, it doesn't sound like Christopher Walken at all. It just has all the right things that make it sound like it's Christopher Walken. That's that's what I learned. So you play the freaking guitar is what I've learned. Can I, can I, um, so I was like, I was on the gear page. I got, because I get the digest email, right? And somebody right. was talking about like, they were talking about some specific Hendrix song, and but they were saying like, as I've learned more and more Hendrix songs, like they get easier and easier because I'm getting more well-versed in the style. And somebody asked the question, well, like how long have you been playing guitar? And it became very apparent that this person is able to play the notes, but they don't necessarily understand inflection. They don't unnecessarily understand. So like, all right. Yep. So I mean, my the cats feel. are my cats are ready to f- throw down behind me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I heard them. If you're wondering what what you're hearing, um, so I uh, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, well, you know, like let's not judge, right? We don't we don't know who this person is, but I'm also reading and I'm thinking, like, yeah, I think people have a tendency to say, oh, you note for noted something, and it's like, yeah. Uh, just because you know the notes doesn't mean you played it like with the proper inflection or attitude, because that's a big part of um, being a musician, right? It's like, number one, I think there's two two camps on this. I think some people want to put their own stamp on something. And I think yep. there are other people that are like, no, to play it properly, it has to be played exactly like so-and-so did when they wrote it. Right. Um, yep. Which, look, whatever your jam is, but I think right. we all have to sort of accept, like, if the person can play the notes and they can do the bends and stuff in tune, um, then give it to them. Right. I mean, like, don't act like, oh, well, they have to they have to sound just like Jimi Hendrix when they do, you know, the, the Wind Cries Mary. And it's like, nobody sounds like Jimi Hendrix when they do Wind Cries Mary, so shut up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're splitting hairs. Are you gonna bitch at Stevie Ray because he had a little di- he had a little different way of doing um, Little Wing, you know? And I think to the untrained ear, when people hear like Eric Gales or Stevie Ray do Little Wing, they're like, and by the way, the Gales version is very different, right? I think people yeah. have a tendency to be like, they're they have so much of the Hendrix thing in there that it's an homage, but it's like. It's so different that, like, at least from my perspective, as a purist, like, it's so different that I'm like, that's a different, that's a different thing, and I, and I don't, I don't fault people for that, but I think a lot of lay people who aren't necessarily immersed in it wouldn't be able to tell the difference, and that's the same thing you were talking about with the, um, uh, the Christopher Walken impression, right? Like, right. If you're not well versed in it, how would you know? Right. Um, and so passing judgment on somebody for making a de- making a decision, I'm not, I'm not that person. Um, right. Granted, if they if they play the notes and they really don't play the notes, then right. uh, that yeah, and that's part of what I was making sure of is that 
that when it came in, it came in in time. It yeah. ended on time. I I do like okay. I'll give you an example. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Which do, song? Uh, we do Danny California. And we do Californication. Okay. When I first heard Californication solo, I was like, "What a piece of shit solo! What a <laughs> steaming pile of shit!" And so then I had to learn it. I sat and learned it, and I was like, "Wow, that's really cool what he did there." And it was it was a completely different shift. Um, but to play it, and then and then he does a, a Hendrix homage in Danny California. Yeah, um, he does a little bit, just a, just a tiny bit of um, uh, Purple Haze, but just enough to go. Look, I'm giving a nod to Purple Haze. And he intros the the little pieces of the solo every time with like a look at this. I know Purple Haze, but I'm not gonna play Purple Haze. They'll play something completely. Well, different. I mean, but that now nowadays, like Purple Haze is just part of the guitar canon. Like everybody loves yeah. that tune, right? Yeah, of course. I was laughing because I'm like, I do a pretty good version of that, and I've heard other people play, it and they play it a totally different way. But it's yeah. like, um, it's not a big deal to play that song. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I thought it was for a while, but no, it's not really. <laughs> It's not really, but I'm just saying that he gives you just enough to go, oh, I'm going to do Purple Haze. And he goes, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that bait thing, bait and switch. But, you know, I didn't appreciate John Frusciani's guitar playing, um, especially his rhythmic playing. No, he's he's a good rhythm player for sure. He's he definitely uses different chord voicings. And that's like Interstate Love Song. I was playing that and I and. Um, I have to laugh because uh, I'll tell you a quick story. So I'm learning Interstate Love Song for the for the band because we cover it, and I wanted to play it right. And I watched Rick Beato just happened to recently. Here's how Interstate Love Song. Of course, Rick Beato knows everything, right? So I played I, I played a, an old version the Guitar World had, and sure enough, other than the names of the chords, the voicings were exactly the same. He just named them differently. Yeah, which you can do because you just choose well, to. Yes and no, uh, and and I would actually suspect that I'd have to look at the I'd have to look at it because yeah. I'm learning as I used to think that that was true. I'm learning that yeah, there are actually rules to well some of the yeah. some of the things, but Voices. like but, yeah, right. But inver you know inversions and stuff they they take on. Different things depending on where you're, you and know, you can whether or not you're seeing it in a version and what what it is in the key too. Right, right. But anyway, I I took I made a version of it for Ultimate Guitar because I was paying to be mm-hmm. part of Ultimate Guitar. I don't pay to be part of Ultimate Guitar anymore, and I'll tell you why. Right here. So I sent them a fix because they have this like they have like five or six versions, but they're all super basic crap. And I said, no, it's this. I think this I'm looking at yours right now. Are you? I uh, maybe because it mentions the, it, it mentions the Rick Beato video. Yeah, and, I, yeah. I think it's, I think it's, yeah. I think you put this up here. <laughs> and I said, that needs to be fixed. And they go, C oh, sharp minor seven E, Asus two G sharp G sharp seven F sharp minor eleven slash E. G sharp slash B sharp, C sharp slash B sharp. Yeah, they wouldn't let me put that in there. Did they take that? Did no, they apparently they did. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. Because I told them, I said, well, I guess they, they wrote me back and said, no, we're in, we can't use it. We've already got enough versions of it. I'm like, you've got like 400 versions of Wagon Wheel, and you can't use one more version of freaking Nurse Suck off. So um, I uh, sent that, and I said, well, according to Guitar World in, you know, like 10 years ago, Rick Beato just recently, and another thing, and watching several different live versions, that's what I said, um, I was able to compile this, which is sonically correct, and your versions are sonically incorrect. And I said, and I thought that this being the ultimate guitar, you would be interested <laughs> in a correct version. So the, the text says, lots of chords in the song can be seen in this live video. And then yep. for reference, Rick Beato has a detailed explanation of the song and chords. Yeah, it's definitely you. That's me. Yeah. So you've got an E-diminished listed here, too, as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. It's in not there in the chord diagrams. Neither is the I G even sharp left off, four, off, but... I said I didn't take time to diagram these, but they're in there. And uh, so how about that? They 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 posted that? Yeah. Wow. Dude, here, let me send it to you. Wow. I'll send it to you in Messenger. I am shocked. They told me they wouldn't post it. They said, yeah, fuck you. Oh, I can show <laughs> Hell, actually, let me, go, let me do you one better. There it is, folks. Screen. So, so yeah, I, I gave them the, uh, I read them the riot act. That's just because I had to sit down and, and play it. And if you play and sing those parts over it, it doesn't work right. I'll, I'll give you a prime example. So our, oh my gosh, they did. Holy crap. They included mine. Well. I'll be dipped in shit. <laughs> they told me they weren't going to. I can show you an email that said they weren't going to do it. Yeah. I said, well, I thought you were interested. Well, there it in is. Correct I mean, stuff. Wow. Well. You put a lot of work into this. I did, too. <laughs> uh, so, um, the the, uh, the funny thing is, they're not the only ones. I mean... I know a person, I just recently had a conversation. I don't want to call the person out because that's not important. And it's not, but, and I probably went too far, but I recently had a conversation with somebody about Ain't No Sunshine. And we got to one of the chords. I said, that's not an F. It's a D minor. I said, I knew somebody was playing it wrong. I could hear a chord bashing against what I was playing, but I couldn't hear what it was. And I said, and I thought I was playing the same thing as everybody else, but D I wasn't. D minor seven. Well, guess what? He was playing an F. Yeah. And it was supposed to be D minor seven. Yeah. And so I was like, you can play a D minor, you can play a D minor seven. Right. But what you're singing is over D minor. I'm just saying, he's F. missing a note. <laughs> That's exactly he's right. definitely missing one. <laughs> yeah, it's called D. So... Um, and so I sat and I watched because I had to prove myself right because that's the jackass that I am, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't go back to him because I don't care. I, it, it's not a it's not a fight worth fighting, you know. It's like you know, whatever you play, man, I'll play with. It. I don't. You know, care. I've never actually had somebody tell me like you're playing the wrong fucking chord. Like I know yeah. I play the wrong fucking chord all the time, but I've never yeah. actually had somebody tell me that. So if you told me that, yeah. I'd probably look at you and be like, shut up. Yeah, that's exactly the, the what he says. Well, I don't fucking play on it. <laughs> oh, well, 
I get it. That is that is one way to look at it. Yeah. And uh, and and it's a and it's a proper way to look at it. I didn't care. So, but I I sat down. And I watched like sixteen covers, including John Mayer um, covers of "Ain't No Sunshine." Oh, you must and really been trying them, to prove something. <laughs> every one of them. Let me tell you something. It is John D Mayer's minor seven in that song, I think. Yeah. And and John Mayer uh, even proved me right. And I was like, I wanted to go see these. <laughs> But then I was like, you know what? You're still being an asshole. Me, not him. You're still being an asshole because you don't need to be right. You don't need to be, you know, but we're, you're doing your thing. And that goes back to what you were talking about earlier. You just got to present and you got to present it well. And as long as you present, you present it well. Who cares what was exactly right? What was exactly done the first time? Just needs to be done. But yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it done with extensions anyway. So, but I, but nope. I could definitely see somebody playing an F against a D minor yeah. or a D minor seven yeah. because I can too. And I said that to him. I said I could see it where somebody thought it was an F because of this, but you're missing the D. Yeah. Um, geez. All right. You ready for the gig report? I am. All right. Time Did you have a gig? Time for a gig report. I did not. I did not do it. I did not. Um, I did not. <laughs> where's my water bottle? Movie Here. or whatever was that? I did not. Here, I just threw a bottle there. You guys all feel better now. Uh, that's from the room. Yeah. That's from the room. Okay. Um, so. There, I threw a can. Yeah. I did not hit her. Um, anyway, uh, I didn't have a gig. Oh, yeah. Tommy, that's what it was. Yeah, Tommy the was The room. So. Tommy, yeah. yeah. Or... I did not. That creeper James Franco uh, in... in you know. I love that movie. The um, movie about the room was almost as bad yeah. as the movie. Yeah. Uh, only because and James both... Franco turned out to be a real creepo. Uh, yeah, and they're both really hilariously bad. Yeah, anyway. anyway. So, um, I don't have a gig. I didn't have a gig this weekend. I didn't okay. pl- I didn't go to Open Jam last week, my, um, my daughter's birthday. Um, yep. I, I can actually talk more about the recording process and I actually want to spend some time kind of talking a little bit more about um, what that's like if you've never done it. So for everybody who's done a home recording, you've done, you know, your PreSonus interface or your your uh, Focusrite interface, you know, two channels of guitar or whatever. Maybe you've got like a backing track you download with the internet or um, you're just experimenting or maybe you wrote a song and like you did a demo of it, right? Um when I talk about the amount of time I spent on this project, like it's not two hours of recording. It's like, you know, like I said, 96 takes for one song. We did six songs. I think I think, Yeah, I think it's six. Um, God, <laughs> it's like some of them I tracked back in February. I'm like the hell. Um, so we did like six songs and, um, when you sit down and like, if you're in a studio environment, I haven't done that thing yet where you go in and like, you're on the clock and you're like, look at the clock on fuck. It's taking too many takes. Um, but I can tell you like the microscope thing is real. We've talked about it on this, on this show before. Like I've been recording stuff, um, and never released it for God, like 20 years, you know, it's almost as long as I've been playing guitar. Um, yeah. And I will say, like, 
anybody can record, right? Very few people can record well. And it has to do, it's not just the hitting a record button. It has to do with the performance side of it, like the guitar performer side of it. Like most of us don't have the rhythm chops. Most of us don't have the lead chops to be able to come in and cut a solo in five takes that's just fucking stellar. Like we have to sort of plot it out and chart it out. And maybe we need to look at the chords and see what appropriate scales we can use against it and novel approach and sort of map it out. And I did have to do that in some places on this. Um, and the rhythm thing, like the chops needed to get that done. Um, and the fact that some of it's just knowing what tools you have available. So case in point, I was tracking a section in the second song today and I had to, so the way this part's structured, I really need to be on for these choruses. They're not hard rhythm parts. It's like mm -hmm. a quarter note, a quarter note, a quarter note, two eighth notes. You know, it's not super complicated. Uh, I think there's dots and stuff in there too, but um, it's it's a pretty simple rhythm. And I know that I got to be on because it, the part before it's very intricate and then it's going to be a stark change and it's got to be that way and done that way on purpose. And I'm like, I tracked it. I had three three iterations of this in the song and they, none of them were close enough. And I was like, man, am I really going to do this? Like, am I going to sit here with a metronome for another couple hours so I can just tighten this up and not be done today? And right. I got to thinking, I was like, you know, I have a tool at my disposal and it's cheating, but is it really cheating at this point for me to go in and time align a couple right. of notes to make right. it sound tighter? And I'm not talking about the whole section. I'm talking about a couple of notes. Um, and that's what I did. I went in and timelined it. I'm not afraid to admit that. Like, right. um, I did it for all three sections because... And actually, to, to some extent, I sort of feel like, and, and and by the way, so anybody who's familiar with MIDI, um, it's 255 notes, or is it 100, was it 128? 128, I think it's 128 between each, um, between each iteration of a measure. So it's like 128 uh, ticks or whatever between, right. you know, each node or whatever. I was off in correcting by like 0.1. So like basically like one tick off or two ticks off. That's how tight you have to be, okay? Because uh, they talk about playing on grid and that's basically what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm going back and I'm I'm adjusting things and I'm realizing like, wow, this is a lot closer than I thought it was. But I had to learn how to do that today because I've never done it in Cubase. That's how little I want to use that tool. But I've suddenly realized like, wow, I could never have been that on without the use of this tool. That tool is an effect. Mm -hmm. And that's what it just dawned on me. I was like, that tool is an effect. I just used an effect. Like I shouldn't feel like this is um, a cardinal sin. It's right. I'm, I'm not, it's not, you know, even pitch correction to an extent gets used as an effect these days. Like, yep. that's the way I should perceive this is like, I was never going to get those sections the way they needed to be. And I don't know that I could have hired somebody that could have got them as tight as I wanted them. 
And so uh, I'd like to think that I could have. You know, there's somebody right. out there, like, go, go get Greg Cock and let him tighten it up. Um, but uh, realistically, like, this was a means to an end, and so I did it. And I don't feel bad about it. And uh, my project, I didn't use it anywhere else in the project. And we're not using pitch correction, which, right. you know, for better or worse, maybe it maybe gives us a black eye or whatever. But we're not going to do that uh, unless it's an effect, right? Right. So... Yeah, that's my gig report. Uh, that recording is going to be done soon. I'm actually talking to several different people about getting it mixed. So one of them has been on the show, um, and I'm hoping he's the guy that gets the project, to be honest with you. Yeah, Steve. Because I think Stephen Miller, uh, from so far from what I've heard, like I was really impressed with the recordings. And I was like, yeah. this is the guy I want mixing it. Um, yeah. But we'll see. Well, I got to get a quote from him. And um, figure out that process. So anyway, your gig report. I'm sure you've had a gig, maybe two. Yeah, had a gig. Um, so Saturday night we had a gig, but I want to talk to that that recording thing. So the last time I was in a studio, probably ten years ago. Um, now I'm talking about a proper studio in that we were stuck to a timeline, mm -hmm. not a grid. A timeline. Yeah, literally. Two hours. Yeah, you got two hours to get this time. done. Right. And so the vocalist in a booth. I was playing bass. Um, so I'm in, I'm in behind a baffle with the drummer. Any bleed between my my. You can't time a line bleed. <laughs> nope. Um, and then we had, and there was no time aligning at that point. Oh yeah, we no, it existed back to, then, but nobody was I using mean, it. it. <laughs> well, yeah, it was being used, but not, was, not to the extent. It was actually just shitty back then. That's all. Yeah, yeah, the software was not good, so it was to tape. We were recording the tape. And, oh, okay. Um, that's more than ten years uh, ago then. Fact, it was. It was. Oh, geez. That's got to be twenty years ago. Yeah. If you were recording a tape in two thousand nine, I'd be shocked. Because yeah, we tape was tape. seven or eight hundred dollars a roll back then. It's actually yeah. come down in price a little bit. So, um, so this guy was recording us. We were doing um, uh, demos. So we were going in to record these uh, uh, for demos. I mean, he might have been recording to Pro Tools, but we we definitely weren't time aligned. I can tell you that right now <laughs> because. There were a lot of, t it was like, okay. Um, and I, so our drummer used a strobe metronome. Okay. And so I was using that same strobe because light travels fast enough. Right. No matter what I heard, I was going to be on time. And uh, the guitar player was in another room, the lead guitar player. And we had the, hang and then they went in and did the backup vocal, backing vocals. We did the harmony vocals. Right. So that was done. It was two hours. Now, the exact opposite of what you went through. So we were, okay, here's your songs. It's already been gridded out. We re rehearsed the shit out of them. We went in, and it was, okay. And you guys are coming in. We had a, we had a scratch track in three, two, one and then it we played to that scratch and then whatever was good of that they used because it was a demo so they cut out anything they didn't like that would happen later then 
we played the next song, we played the next song. It was three or four songs. Then we went in and we did um, the vocal. Now, I did this similarly, um, and so that had to be done in two hours. And that was two hours. That two hours included my sitting down, playing with that guy. So I got maybe 20 minutes. Um, and part of that, part of the time that I spent, 20 minutes playing, maybe, maybe 25 the rest of it was setting our levels and, you know, everything else, getting us to where we could hear it and all the other stuff. The, um, I had recorded another demo when I went in, and the guitar player did, he used Pro Tools for sure, mm-hmm. and he did a track, and he goes, listen, I'm going to, if if any of the singing is, is off, as long as it's close, I'm going to, I'll bring it in. I'll pitch correct it. That way we get it done just like that. So I did a four take. <laughs> so I came in, played my rhythm guitar parts, and then I sang all the lead vocals and all the backup vocal, backing mm-hmm. vocals. Four takes. Um, but that's totally. why you have those tools, right? So you yeah. can get all that done in two hours. Yeah. And that was all because we only had the tools that we had for the limited time. And it's and people who have that now, who have unlimited I mean, you don't have unlimited time. You're not gonna no one forever, has but you know what I mean. Right. But you have a lot more time and you have um you have whatever bandwidth time you have. And then you have because you can do that at home, you have all the tools to be able to plug that in and do that. I would hate to do that for somebody else. That's what I'm saying. The um, so, the going rate for studio time in my area is about forty bucks an hour for yeah. a reasonable studio. Uh, that's yeah. not somebody's basement. That's like an actual place that's got a live room and stuff. Um, so yep. to put that in perspective, you know, if you're going to do two days worth of recording, yep. you can see how that starts to get expensive. Um, yep. I can't imagine the people that go in for weeks or months. Yeah, well, um, so a lot of times, like like Columbia Records, for example, has their own. They use their own studio, so they don't have to pay. Like right. John Mayer records at the studio normally. I mean, he's got his own studio now too, right. but a lot that's that's how most of them operate now. Like the big major right. companies, virtually no one has a yeah, virtually no one has a truly like unlimited budget with that regard. Right. So, I mean, you know. Obviously, uh, Electric Ladyland was uh, what he called it, but Tom Schultz was one of the first guys to go, you know what, I'm going to have me a studio, and I'm going to have a really good studio. Yeah, there wasn't much of a home recording market for professional two-track stuff, but Tom Schultz said that because he was going to build it all himself. Um, right. And well, he wasn't unique. There were other guys doing that, too, but it was yeah. like it was a rarity. It was not like it right. is now where everybody has like a laptop with Pro Tools, you right. know? Um, yeah, which if yeah. you have a laptop a thing, tool, I, shame on you. Um, I, I watched a thing about 10 years ago where Brooks and Dunn were talking about how they tracked uh, their latest album at that time. And uh, this might have been, geez, now probably 12 or 15 years ago now. But anyway, um, and they were talking about how they used Pro Tools to remove an airplane that yeah, flew yeah, yeah, overhead yeah. during one of their best takes. Yeah, you've talked about that on the show before. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so uh, as far as my gig went, that's why I, I said that stuff, because, I mean, it was a gig. I played with my, um, I used my Kemper. Um, 
and uh, I use my own wah pedal. I prefer my slash wah. Um, and uh, I still need to dial in my tones a little bit for what we've got now, because we're using a phased array uh, um, for mains now, and our uh, subs are, are newer. Um, and uh, But it went well. Our other guitar players now in ear in in ears, so we're all in ears except for our bass player, right? Who is going to go in ears? So we'll and all be your in drums ears are still acoustic, right? Right, our drums are acoustic, and that'll be what's left acoustically later. I mean, it's going to be pretty pretty crazy when we go uh, um, completely. Excuse me, um, you know. As we were talking, I actually looked up the price of tape. Yep. So much, the yeah. good stuff, right, and in a decent quantity, seven hundred thirty bucks. Jeez. Yep. Um, and there's more. There's some that's thirteen hundred, and then there's mm -hmm. some stuff that's ninety nine bucks a reel. So the price mm -hmm. of tape is coming down. They've been talking about that. I guess there is a company now producing magnetic tape again. Okay. Um, but it's. It's an enthusiast price. I mean, hundred dollars a reel for what? I think that you get like what fifteen minutes on a on a reel or something. Yeah. It's not even that. Yeah. I think it's like five minutes on the reel. Um, yeah, it depends on the reel, but yeah, yeah, that's so. two inch tape. Mm -hmm. That's for two inch. Jesus. So. Anyway, yeah. that's what I but, said. Uh, I, I know that it was actually more expensive in two thousand nine. If you can imagine, if that. you're Dave Grohl, you can afford it. Yeah. Uh, well, even he, even he, that's a luxury. Um, they were talking about that actually. So he apparently does do their whole record on it, which most people record in Pro Tools and then bounce to tape um, if they want to get that sound. So Right. There's a good reason for that. Yeah, but apparently they, they actually use tape and they have a tape, like a like an engineer that knows how to deal with it and stuff. So Yeah. All right. You got nothing? You're not got a gig to talk about either? That was it. That All was right. The gig you got enough. All right. You got we enough. We used in-ears. <laughs> we used in-ears, and it was fun, and, and we had a gig. And two weeks, I got another one. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. So since you were talking about in-ears, I got to bring this up because I mentioned it. I've had a couple conversations with people about in-ears in the last week. And um, it was really funny because like, like some people – all right. Everybody wants to pretend like – in-ears are either. You get two opinions. In-ears are great. In-ears suck. They're awful. Okay? In-ears are great, and they suck. I there, tell you that. There's a reason. So, all right. Why is the industry, why is the professional side of the industry going to in-ears? I mean, th that's what I want to talk about for just a second. The professional side of the industry went to in-ears because they had tracks running and they needed a silent way for them right. to receive a click and or a count in or address, you know, musical information that they need to be able to hear perfectly um, so that they can align with the track. And you can see this any any pop show where they've got a duet and there's somebody on screen and they're duetting with them or whatever. They're not like tap tempoing that. You know what I mean? Like it's. It, it, it it's right. a track right and um even like when you go to a any band that doesn't have an orchestra with them and you hear strings and there's no keyboard player on stage that's probably a track and it's probably a track anyway because keyboard 
string selling ass. So um, it's one of those things where that was a necessity that got a lot of people involved. Now you've got churches getting into it because they've got in, they bought into the concept of the silent stage, which okay, whatever. Uh, churches aren't the model of the universe. They do certainly buy a lot of equipment though. Um, and we were talking about monitoring systems. And, uh, one of the things I, I made a comment was if you go to a wireless in-ear system, you're introducing latency in the system. Cause we were talking actually about like how on some of these stages, you're 30 feet from your guitar amp and that creates latency. It's about, th uh, I think that's what 30 milliseconds worth of latency at, at 30 feet. Because it's like 10 milliseconds per feed or something. There, there's some number. Um, it's not a ton of latency. And I made the comment that if you are... Like, let's say your your cable has got dual run, right? To your board. You've got digital pedals on the board. You've got a run back to the amp. You know, you're introducing latency, right? There's more latency there. as at the, the distance between you is latent, right? But also the digital pedals on your board add a latency. And then if you have, um, unless they're analog drive through, because the analog signal will at least not be latent. And then the other thing you need to be cognizant of is you run wireless, right? Your wireless is a bad culprit for latency, especially if it's a digital one. They're all known for it now. It, there's nothing you can do to avoid it. Um, in fact, even the, the, like the least latent of the industry is still like, I think it's 10 milliseconds. Um, which is just wild, but they figure they can get away with it because you're already, you know, 10 feet from your amp or whatever to use wireless. So when you think about it, if you are to do that and you don't have side fills, uh, on stage, which does bigger stages where you've got a 30 foot run, hopefully you have a side fill, right. And you have a quality right. monitoring engineer that's, you know, giving you volume. You're getting, you're getting your signal from the side fill, not your amp. Cause it's too far away for right. you to hear it. So right. theoretically, um, if you're introducing latency, actually the better way to handle that, even the side fill, is probably in-ears. Except for the hidden demon, that is, it's a wireless system, which means that it's going to introduce additional latency because they're digital. Um, and so now you're dealing with the 10 milliseconds from your from your wireless to your, you know, 10 milliseconds across the entire board from your digital apparatus to your hopefully tube amp so you don't have more latency there. And then whatever distance there, um, the microphone, if it's running to a digital console uh, and then the digital console is then latent and then it's sending the signal back to your, um, to your mix, your monitor mix, or in this, like I just said, you get another 10 seconds of latency or 10 milliseconds of latency from your, uh, in-ears, that could be a curse when you really think about the amount of stuff there. Although I think I would still rather have in-ears on a big stage because I, I don't, I, I know I'm not going to be standing next to that, <laughs> you know, next to the, uh, the side fill all night. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I could say, I could say that. So as a vocalist, in-ears help immensely. Yeah, because you can hear you yourself. Hear yourself so so well, and you could turn it up as loud as you want. It's not going to feed back unless you do this. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, and for folks that are listening, I put my 
earphone to my microphone. Um, so literally, there's no way to get feedback. Um, just not feasible. And so I, I could turn up my voice, and I completely – now, of course, I can do that with a floor monitor too, control my mix because I can control what's going out of that channel to add a floor monitor to the floor mm -hmm. monitor or to that thing. But the truth of the matter is that I'm getting almost no latency. I mean, the, and it might be because I'm using, so my wireless for my, you got to remember, I'm using a Kemper. So I've got latency built into the Kemper. Right. And the Kemper goes directly to the board. Yeah, but the Kemper then, isn't the Kemper isn't that latent actually, which is kind of wild. Um, it's one of the least latent modelers. So, so my Kemper is wired directly into the board. So the only latency I've got is from my wireless system at the board to my ear. That's I mean after that, mm -hmm. and so and to be honest, that's probably going to be the same amount of latency because I have an old wireless, which is like. Well, your guitar wireless, it. but then also your in ears as well. My guitar is not wireless. Oh, I thought you were. I, I thought you were running wireless guitar. I sometimes I do. Sometimes I do, but I usually don't. And the reason is because I do so much singing at the same time as playing that I don't have the 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 release of me for more than maybe three or four feet from my circle is not is just not there. Um, if it was my show and my thing, it'd be different. But because it's the Fitchett Company show and I'm doing what I do, my part in that does not allow me to go all over the place. I am pretty much stuck to my little spot. Um, so I've got wired guitar into Kemper into the thing. And the only digital pedal I have in between is the Digidrop. Yeah, as the drop, which is not yeah. very latent. I think it's about a millisecond and a half. Yeah. And so, so I've only got the the latency from now don't think I don't um hear it or feel it. But I do well, know you, it's there, well but... I mean honestly, I don't feel it ninety-five percent of the time. Right. Um I, the only reason I'm cognizant of it is because I know when I'm recording, I can see it and I can right, hear it right. in the track. Right. But... If I could right. And if I was recording, I'd probably get I can hear just like when I'm talking to you and I'm listening back through the, I get a little bit of latency. So I know that I've got some latency there. And, but I'm used to, how do I say this? The good thing is because the drum, the bass, and the other guitar player and the other vocalists are in here, mm -hmm. it's all at the same time. Right. My reaction time to all that is in sync. Well, and so, my, yeah. and my, Feedback for that is actually what I hear. Is my guitar on time? Okay. And I probably lay back or get ahead of the beat a little bit to make up for whatever I've got to. So I'll, I'll pause at something else, which is something that I don't think people actually address when they talk about latency in conversation, which is right. that, number one, you've got to have a lot of latency before you're going to feel it. Like, right. even to be able to hear it in your headphones right now, I would be shocked if you actually can hear the, you know, whatever, however many samples you have latent right. um, and the round trip because there's because there's more than just that. There's round trip latency. So there's actually the, yeah. the thing has to do a conversion output, too, as well. Um, but I would say that 
until you get to about 30 milliseconds, I don't think most people would notice. Right. Um, they might, right? 30 milliseconds, like if you ever dialed in a delay for 30 milliseconds, you know you can hear it as a double only when right. you hear the reference signal with it. Um, right. So, but but it, it does it it does feel different, right? If you're only monitoring monitoring the you know the the wet mix, um, yep. but I would say, well, we've gone on like really long tangent, so we're gonna wrap this up. But um, right. I would say that delay and that thing is like a different thing, and that also this is where I was actually going was that we expect latency when we see a band. Right. Like, we actually sort of psychologically filter it out. Um, right. And it's it's a psychoacoustic thing that happens. And actually, when people play in orchestras and stuff, they talk about it, and they're like, we know that we're latent to, like, like a violin player. Okay, so... That's right. If you know how, like, a an orchestra is situated, you know that the... Um, that the... Uh, in the back is where the percussion is. And in the front is like where the violins and stuff are. Um, violins know they're latent to the, to the, to the uh, percussion. That's and right. they are accustomed to dealing with that. And so yep. it's weird for them when they're not latent. Not. That's exactly um, right. And that's exactly what happens to musicians on stage is that yep. we actually prefer that sound of that latency. And we're kind of pissed off when we go in the studio and we can't get that, uh, which is, that's a whole other conversation, especially somebody that spends more time on stage than they do um, in the studio or whatever. Like, that's a big part of that, right? And um, right. so this may be a moot point, but I'm just saying, like, from, from the point of talking about wireless systems is that I think people would think that a wireless system would be a remedy for the, the monitor problem. And it's not necessarily from that perspective. Like from the silent stage thing where you can have a better stage mix, that's probably the actual answer, but also to be able to silently monitor yourself so you can have right. a click. And that is oh, what used, that is what made that a big deal is the click. Right. And we use that talk back and we use that cue thing. So that that's always matter of fact, this weekend, you know, what I would hear in there is and the next song, you know, the next songs thing, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Danny California in three. Yeah. Two, you know, I'd be and, like, what key? <laughs> yep. and it, little things like that. All right, guys, we're dropping out. And, you mm -hmm. know, two, one. And then, okay, we're coming back in, you know, and that type of thing. So those kind of cues are there. Our drummer is the band leader in that. So, um, yeah, I love being able to hear that. Now, the other side of it is. He was down having a conversation at the other end. He forgot he had his talk back mic on. <laughs> he's like, he's like, Jim, that guy's a prick. He's talking away, and I'm looking <laughs> over there, and I wave, and he goes, oh. oh. He, looks, he points at his microphone. All right. Well, that's really, uh, that's where we're at tonight. I uh, hope you guys all enjoy your NAM coverage this week, because it's all going to drop this week instead of when it should have. Um, I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been Practical Guitarists. Live yeah. on YouTube, I guess. Good night. <laughs>